What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we are back with episode 66, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 239 pay-per-view going down this Saturday night, headlined by John Jones versus Tiago Mejeta Santos. Later in the podcast, after I analyze all of the fights individually, I will be joined by my friend Jamie, who will be joining me to talk about the entire card. Just, you know, a little more light discussion, even though he has some great analysis. I recommend you check it out. If you are just tuning in to hear Jamie's analysis, I would take no hard feelings because Jamie is sharp man I was really impressed with his analysis and the way uh, you know how mature he was in the microphone he I think he kind of showed me up a little bit he was you know way better spoken than me on the microphone uh, in my opinion maybe I'm just being hard on myself but you know the listeners you could probably tell as well for yourself later on so uh, if you're just looking listening to t- uh, to Jamie's portion of the podcast, then I will give a tam- timestamp uh, at the bottom uh, of the YouTube video or in the description of the tweet or SoundCloud or wherever you're getting this from, even from Reddit. You know, shout out to everybody over on r slash MMA. I get a lot of viewers from Reddit, always been uh, loyal to me over there. So uh, with that being said, we're going to get over to the pay-per-view where we'll be analyzing and predicting all 13 fights on the card. Uh, the Prelims for this card start at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time with the main card starting at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, the classic pay-per-view timing. And with that being said, we're going to start things off with the first fight of the evening. And it is in the women's bantamweight division where we have Penny Kianzad, who is 11-4, taking on Julia Avila, who is 6-1. Now, the opening betting line for this one was Julia Avila, the favorite at Minus 135 to Penny Kinzad as the slight underdog at minus 105. Right now we are seeing Avila minus 220, Kinzad plus 180. So a lot more action coming in on the debutante Avila in this one. And I'm kind of shocked behind the line movement, honestly. Uh, Avila is coming into this matchup making her UFC debut. She has had some nice performances over in Invicta. But for the most part, I don't think that she deserves this price tag next to her name. You know, Despite her being a very good, well-rounded fighter, I just think that this is a tough matchup for her. Where she's taking on Pani Kinzad, who is, uh, has fought in the UFC before, has fought on the Ultimate Fighter, and has some wins over some decent competition. Um, most notably, uh, Julia Stoyalenko which was a Ultimate Fighter fight uh, on, I believe, the 26th season of the Ultimate Fighter. But starting things off uh, with Avila, she uh, starts her, uh, her fights very fast. She usually swarms her opponents with wild combinations uh, in the beginning of the fights and the rounds. And uh, she doesn't really have too good defense when she is throwing those long combinations. That was something I noticed. Is She kind of just t- throws her chin to the wind and uh, throws bombs. But... She all she is very good in the clinch. I will give her that. She she will have these outbursts of offense, and then she'll clinch you up, and then she will throw some hard strikes uh, on the break. She she has good knees and good elbows in the clinch as well. Um, you know the one the one thing that she really struggles with is uh, you know just her composure on the feet. I think that she has bad footwork. I think that she throws too much power into certain strikes, and she uh, of course, like I said, does not have good striking defense. 
she also has a good front kick in her arsenal that she can uh, that she can use as well, uh, and she can defend a takedown. She has fought Nico Montano, the former uh, women's champion of the flyweight division, and was available, able to uh, stuff takedowns or get back up from takedowns all throughout that fight. And that was a five round fight and only her second pro fight. So Avila is experienced. Uh, she's tested. She's very well rounded. Um, but I just like Kianzad in this matchup. I think that Kianzad will be the more technical striker of the two. She looks to come from a Muay Thai background. She also has very good defensive wrestling. Can, it was stuffing all of Storylenko's takedown attempts in, in their fight. She has a very nice lead left hook, and I think that that's going to be a punch that really comes into play in this matchup. I think that when Avila is marching forward, throwing uh, sloppy combinations, Kianzad's just going to be counter-punching her all day with that lead left hook, using her superior footwork, and just sliding out of the distance uh, of Avila. And I think Avila's footwork is going to uh, really present some problems for her. She's not going to be able to close that distance, and uh, Kianzad is going to try punish her for trying to sloppily enter the pocket. So uh, this is a very close fight. Uh, Avila could certainly win this one. She could be the more aggressive striker. She could uh, you know, land the better punches in this one. But at the current price, I think it's definitely a dog or pass. And you know, when Kianzada was at a plus 195 underdog the other day, I, I locked in a one-unit play on her. And I think even where the odds are at now, I think that there is some value on uh, Kianzad. So um, yeah, I, Avila's path to victory is you know, clinching up, using those uh, clinch, uh, those clinch strikes on the break to uh, outstrike uh, Kianzad. Kianzad has struggled with the clinch a little bit, especially versus uh, Macy Chiasin. So uh, look for Avila to really make a difference in the clinch in this fight. But if Avila can't make that clinch work, uh, you know, uh, be effective in the early rounds of this fight. I think that Kianzat will take over late, and I think that she will outstrike uh, Julia Avila to a 29-28 decision. So the pick for this one is going to be Panny Kianzad. The next fight takes place in the welterweight division. We have Ismail Nardiev, who is 18-2, taking on Chance Rencounter, who is 13-3. The opening betting line for this one was Nardiev, the minus 305 favorite, to Rencounter at plus 225. Right now, over on five dimes, we are seeing Nardiev minus 600 to Rencounter at plus 450. So, a ton of action coming in. On the favorite Ismail Nardiev after his very impressive debut in his last fight, and uh, you know I don't blame people for jumping in on that early action, but where the line is at now, I think it's dogger pass. Uh, I think that there's just no way that you can trust Nardiev at this price, you know, with only one performance in the UFC, and he did look s superb in that performance against Michel Prezeris, a short notice fight where he came in against a guy who was on a seven fight win streak, who showed. He showed insane takedown defense in that fight. Great balance, great ability to get back up to his feet, and he also showed that he has very good striking as well. He has a nice low kick, and he also has some very solid boxing as well. He he rocked Michel Prezeris with some head kicks and some punches in that fight. So I was very impressed with Nardiev in that fight. And, you know, Ch Chance Rencounter also picking up a victory in his last fight. He's a very tall and long fighter, and he, I don't think that he strikes very well. He was soundly outstruck by Bilal Muhammad in his UFC debut. And uh, he picked up a nice victory in his last fight over Kyle Stewart. He uh, blasted a good double leg takedown about 30 seconds into the fight. 
Um, he, uh, his opponent, Stewart, got back up to his feet, but he uh, ran counter, dragged him back down, took the back, and got a rear naked choke in round one. So it was a nice victory. Uh, but we're, when it comes down to this matchup, I think it's a lot different of a matchup for Nardiev than the fight with Prezeris. That was a sprawl and brawl type of fight where he knew the takedown was coming, and he you know effectively stuffed the takedown, showed incredible grappling in that fight, incredible reversals. Every time he was in a bad spot on the ground, he would just blast up and get back to his feet. It was absolutely insane, his takedown defense in that fight. And it that's just, I mean, I really enjoy takedown defense. It is one of my favorite aspects of MMA because it's one of the hardest aspects of MMA. The, the casual fans don't really understand uh, how grueling takedown defense is and how hard it is to reverse position and get a sweep or something like that when something is on top of you. But Nardiev was just hitting switches and sweeps left and right that entire fight. And it was a pleasure to watch. So when it comes down to this matchup, I think it honestly will be a little bit competitive on the feet. I think Nardiev should be the better striker, but Ren Counter has a reach to him, and he's uh, improving a lot fight to fight, and he might come in here with the jab. He might come in here with some improved striking and give Nardiev a tough fight, and then you'd think that Nardiev would take this fight to the ground, but we really haven't seen him offensively wrestle too much. He looked great sprawling and stuff in takedowns, but that's a lot different than hitting his own offensive takedowns, keeping top position, and maybe getting a submission over a solid grappler like Ren Counter. So I'm um, favoring Nardiev to win this fight. I think that he should be a little bit better everywhere than Ren Counter on the feet, but he shouldn't be, you know, this much of a favorite. He shouldn't, he's not, he doesn't excel in one area so much to the fact that he should be a 6-1 to one favorite. So the pick is going to be Nardiev. I think he gets it done by 30-27 decision, but minus six or 600 is just too steep to lay the chalk in this spot. Next fight is taking place in the middleweight division. We have Jack Marshman, who is 23-8, taking on Edmund Shabazian, who is undefeated at 9-0. The opening betting line for this one was Shabazian, minus 380, Marshman, plus 260. Right now, we are seeing Shabazian, minus 650, Marshman, plus 475. So a ton of action coming in on Edmund Shabazian in this one. Uh... Shabazian had an impressive debut against Darren Stewart. In uh, That was not his most recent fight, um, but in that fight against Stewart, he realized he was facing a heavy hitter, and he decided to come in there and just neutralize that threat in the least, uh, the least resistant manner, and he did that very effectively. He was taking Stewart down in that fight. He was keeping Stewart on his back. He was doing good work in the, in the clinch with knees and elbows. And he really just showed a good timing on his level changes. And that was something that he had never really shown before. In all of his prior fights, he was knocking people out with his strikes and quick first-round knockouts. On the Tuesday Night Contender Series, he had powerful striking that he was going for the knockout. But he came in with a game plan versus Stewart, and he showed the ability to... Uh, to implement it and even though he gassed out in round three almost got finished he was still able to get on top when it mattered he still got takedowns even when he was hurt he ended the round on top he he stayed safe on the ground and even though he, he made you sweat he was close to being finished in that round three he still secured rounds one and two comfortably and he showed you know the ability to be a, a, a well-rounded fighter to not only knock people out on the feet but to to, uh, mix things up with the wrestling the top, the control and the clinch game as well so it was a great performance from Edmund Shabazzian even though it was a little sloppy and a little um a, bit, a little bit of a nail biter 
And in his most recent fight against Charles Bird, Bird just shot for that takedown right away, and Shabazian hit him with some Travis Brown elbows to the side of the head and knocked him out in about 30 seconds. So Shabazian has just looked phenomenal in the UFC lately, although he has not been uh, you know, really tested by a, a super high-level fighter, but he's not going to be tested in this fight either. Jack Marshman, no disrespect to him, but is, is, is a very one-dimensional fighter. He's here to box. He comes from an amateur boxing background. He doesn't really throw kicks. He doesn't stuff a takedown well. He doesn't uh, defend submissions well. He can't really get off go get up off of his back. So Jack Marshman really has a lot of holes in his game. And even when he's on the feet, he he's not really much of a knockout guy. He doesn't have much power. He can be kind of low output. And, you know, you saw that the last fight against John Phillips. It was a fight that uh, raised a close decision. A lot of people thought he lost that fight. And honestly, I couldn't tell you who won or lost because it's too boring to rewatch. Um, I think I had a bet on Marshman to win by decision in that fight. So I was comfortable cashing it and never looking back. So, uh, you know, Marshman, looked, he looked bad in that fight, though. He looked sloppy, old, slow. And I think that uh, Shabazzian should be able to honestly outbox Marshman on the feet in his own game. Uh, but I see Shabazzian, again, taking the path, the path of least resistance and taking Marshman down, putting him on his back, and ultimately winning the fight with top position. He could uh, Shabazzian could keep it in the clinch and try to knock Marshman on the feet, out on the feet just to you know, prove, uh, have a statement win on this pay-per-view. Or he could just come in here and, uh, as I've said multiple times, path the least resistance, take Marshman down and win on the top position. So I'm going to take Shabazzian in this one. I think that he deserves the price tag next to his name. You know, Mar Marshman ain't knocking him out. Um, you know, I'll, I'll eat my fist if he does and, and uh, take the loss on that one. But Shabazzian should come in here and put on a dominant performance. And I'm going to go with a, uh, a TKO victory. I'd say Shabazzian gets mount or gets, you know, a dominant position in rounds one or two and pounds Marshman out for the victory uh, in this one. So with that being said, we're going to move on to the next fight, which takes place in the Bantamweight division. We got Alejandro Perez, who is 21-7-1, taking on Song Yedong, who is 14-4. The opening betting line for this one was Yedong, the minus 185 favorite to Perez, plus 145. Right now, we are seeing Yedong minus 235, Perez plus 195. So more action coming in on the favorites way, Song Yedong. And uh, Yudong is a, a very talented uh, Chinese striker. He trains at uh, Team Alpha Male. He's got real fast and uh, crisp striking. He usually starts the rounds fast and comes uh, blitzing at you uh, with you know usually with like a flying kick or something like that. But he's very light on his feet. He's always moving. He's got good footwork. He throws a lot of body kicks, and he's just got a very you know. Uh, good striking game nothing too crazy nothing uh, out of this world uh, but he's got very solid uh, fundamentals on the feet um, you know we have not seen him grapple much uh, not much at all honestly but uh, luckily for him Alejandro Perez is not really the offensive grappler um, so Yadong uh, in his um, one of his most recent fights he fought Vince Morales and he was able to cleanly outstrike Vince Morales in rounds one and two of that fight but round three he started to slow down a little bit and he uh, lost round three of that fight to Morales but still 29-28 on the scorecards for Yadong and in his uh, fight with Felipe Arantes his most recent fight Fight. He was able to stuff the takedowns of Arantes and just dominate the grappling exchanges against uh, the supposedly the better grappler, who was uh, a jiu-jitsu brown belt. Uh, 
Yedong was on top the entire time, avoiding submissions and landing some good ground and pound. And he eventually clinched up uh, Felipe Arantes and knocked him out with an elbow in the clinch in the second round. So Yedong has looked great lately, and I'm really looking forward to seeing him make his uh, United States debut in this one. Looking forward to seeing him against uh, top-level competition. And uh, Alejandro Tur- Turbo Perez, you know, a very uh, very funny fighter, man. This guy has has ways of winning. He, he has ways of squeaking out decisions or something like that. And he uh you know he's a good fighter though he's very well rounded um you know the the area that i think he struggles the most in is his defense i think he he's a little too hittable he's been dropped multiple times before specifically by andre sukumtak got dropped three times in that fight but he still won that's what i'm talking about when i say that he has a way to win he got dropped three times in a fight but still won the fight somehow it's probably more likely that the judges had the fighters mixed up and scored the fight wrong but still Perez won the fight according to this official decision. So Perez has, you know, pretty nice striking. Uh, he uh, was attacking the leg kicks versus Cody Stammen, and he also had great takedown defense versus Cody Stammen. Stammen's a high-level wrestler, and Perez, he really struggled getting Perez down. I don't think he ever really got him down. Um, but uh, Perez, but uh, even though Perez was stuffing the takedowns in that fight, Cody Stammen was able to outbox Perez for a decision. Perez just wasn't being aggressive enough. Wasn't landing the cleaner, cleaner shots and was outstruck for a decision by Stammen in that one. So Perez is just a little too low output for me, uh, for my liking. Uh, even in the spot as almost a 2-1 to one underdog, I, I don't like his price. I think the, the line where the line is set now is fairly accurate at Yadong at around uh, minus 250 or so. So I think that uh, Yadong will be the, the more technical striker on the feet. I think he'll be faster. I think that he'll be uh, lighting Perez up with punches. I see this one being a, a dominant decision for Song Yadong. Uh, you know, Perez, you know, he could surprise us. He could, you know, show that there are levels to this and that he's one level ahead of Yadong. He's fought the better competition for sure. And he could use that experience and uh, come in here against Yadong and put on a great performance and get the victory. Uh, but I, I don't see it happening. Um the one best chance I think Perez has in this one is getting the knockout. I think both of these guys like to trade in the pocket for short bursts of time. You know, they'll they'll be technical, technical, and then they'll trade for five punches, and then they'll exit the pocket. So, I wouldn't be surprised to see one of these guys. You know, whether uh, both of them enter the pocket, swing big punches, and one of them go down at some point. But uh, the official pick is going to be Yadong by thirty twenty seven decision. Next fight is in the women's bantamweight division. We have Claudia Gadelia, who is 16 and 4, taking on Random Marcos, who is 9, 6, and 1. The opening betting line for this one was Claudia Gadelia, the minus 365 favorite to Random Marcos, plus 255. Since then, line margins have tightened up. We are now seeing Gadelia minus 235 to Marcos, plus 195. So the public is disagreeing with the odds maker in this one, and more action coming in on Random Marcos' way. Although there is two-way action on this fight, it's a it's a close matchup. And you know, a few years ago, uh, t- 2015, I think Gedalia would have been minus 900 in this spot, but Gedalia has had a steep decline. She used to be an elite fighter, really was. Had fought Yin Jacek a few times, uh, fought for the belt a few times, just came up short. And uh, the decline that she has had, man, it is really uh, something to watch. It seems like her, her she lost a lot of technique on the feet. Uh, I don't know where it went, but she... she uh, her defense has suffered. Her chin might be a little deteriorated. She got dropped by Claudia Gadelia. Or 
damn, by uh, Carla Esparza in their most recent fight. Um, and uh, Gadelia has major, major problems with her cardio. She has always had problems with her cardio. She still has problems with her cardio. And it seems like in round three, man, she's just huffing and puffing versus every single opponent. So if this fight goes, you know, the longer it goes, the more it favors Random Marcos. But I think it is a very favorable matchup for Claudia Gadelia despite her steep decline. I think that she she usually uses a lot of muscle and strength and just aggression to get a takedown. She doesn't have much technique in the wrestling and she, that's the reason why she gasses out is cuz she just uses her power and her size to rip women to the ground and get the takedown that way. She does not use technique and do it in a very effective way. So I see Gadelia getting Marcos down in round one, and I see Marcos really struggling from the bottom position. I think that uh, Marcos won't being able to avoid won't be able to avoid the takedown. She really does not have good striking. I think that Gadelia, if she really wanted to, she could just st stay on the feet and outbox Marcos in this one. But I, I, I think that it's kind of in Gadelia's instincts to grapple. So I see Gadelia getting the takedown in round one and just being really heavy from top position, throwing heavy ground and pound shots and possibly opening up a submission for Claudia Gadalia in round one of this fight, but if this one goes past round one, man, it, that's when it's going to get interesting. That's when girls like Ansaroff and Esparza have been able to stuff Marcos's takedowns, or have been able to stuff Gadalia's takedowns, excuse me, even though both of them have, they've all fought each other. They all have a lot of common opponents. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, Ansaroff and uh, Esparza were able to stuff the takedowns in rounds two and make it a much more competitive fight. Ansaroff flat out won the fight between her and Gedalia, outstruck in rounds two and three for a decision. Even though Gedalia did manage to get a takedown in rounds two versus the fight with Ansaroff. So Gedalia could get Marcos down in round two, but uh, it, her energy is going to be on E at that point. She just does not have the frame or the cardio to grapple for three rounds straight. So... If this one gets to the third man, it's going to get interesting. I expect Marcos to win the third round uh, no matter what. Uh, it could be Gedalia winning 29-28, uh, winning the first two rounds. We could see an early finish from Gedalia. Gedalia is uh, you know, an elite grappler, and she should be able to take Marcos down and tap her out in this one. But with that steep decline in her career, I cannot trust her at these odds. I don't think that there is much value on Marcos at plus 195. Maybe if you got her at where the line opened up uh, at... Uh, what was it plus 235 yeah 255 yeah there's some value there for sure but where the line's at now it's about accurate i'm gonna pick claudia gadelia to get it done by first round submission the next fight takes place in the bantamweight division we have marlon vera who is 15 5 and 1 taking on noachin hernandez who is 10 and 2 the opening betting line for this one was Vera, the favorite, at minus 325 to Hernandez, plus 250. We're now seeing Vera, minus 450 to Hernandez, plus 330. So this is a short-notice fight for Hernandez. He was in fight camp to fight at uh, LFA, I believe, but he was took this short-notice fight to come in here and take on Marlon Vera on this big pay-per-view. You know, good move by Hernandez and for his career, but unfortunately, I think this is a very tough matchup for him. 
Both of these guys have similar builds. They're both tall and long guys for the Bantamweight division. Um, but I, I just see that Hernandez having trouble coming in here and taking out an experienced guy like Vera in his first fight in the UFC. So uh, starting things off with Hernandez, the debutante, uh, he's got uh, some boxing defense issues and some chin issues. He was knocked down multiple times in his fights in LFA, and I only saw a few uh, of his fights, and he was dropped in those few. So it's definitely something to be concerned about, you know, getting dropped in the regional scene. He's coming in here, and he's facing a, a guy with some slick striking and some good power in Marlon Vera. So the one thing that uh, really impressed me was Hernandez's takedown defense. He He's looked really good uh, defending takedowns. He's got a nice sprawl. He's, he can take good underhook, get off the cage, and avoid, being, uh, avoid the grapple in uh in his fights but that that leads it open to his jujitsu being a little unknown i really don't know uh how the guy's game is once he gets put on his back because of uh the lack of footage on him uh you know short notice replacement he's fighting an lfa lfa unfortunately makes their footage a little bit difficult to find so it's hard to get a full sense on this guy uh hernandez um so getting over to marlon vera he is a notorious slow starter typically loses round one he's lost round one to some low level guys like guido canetti even Luigi Burin, i think beat uh Marlon Vera in the first round or you know gave him a close round at least it takes him a while to get to get into the swing of things but he definitely made an improvement in that last fight with Frankie Sines I mean it only took him 90 seconds to uh, outbox Frankie Sines and land an effective counter punch it was actually a jab a stiff jab that dropped Frankie Sines and he was able to finish it up with some ground and pound uh, to get the finish uh, you know he showed good leg kicks in that fight and good slick counter punching uh, Vera trains a lot with Eddie Bravo. I'm sure he's got a great jiu-jitsu game. And with Hernandez's jiu-jitsu game being unknown, that could be a path to victory for Vera. Uh, he might think that there's a weakness in Hernandez's game. You know, I don't know where he would get that sense from, considering that he's had, uh, you know, good good takedown defense. I would imagine that his jiu-jitsu is pretty good as well. So I think that this fight will play out on the feet. I think that the uh, the edge should go to Vera. He's the more experienced, the more polished guy. He has better better defense although his defense is not great either hernandez could come in here and blow our socks off with you know a great debuting performance knocking out a experienced ufc guy like marlon vera i just don't see it happening it, it, it could happen like i said that's definitely his path to victory is to for hernandez to try to hit uh vera early with a you know a big powerful explosive shot hernandez does have very good flying knees he can uh, he can throw some uh, hurt you with those flying knees from a long distance but he just has too many defensive issues for me to trust him in this matchup i think marlon vera will uh, pick him apart when the striking on the feet and uh, eventually land a knockout somewhere in the second or third round the next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Gilbert Melendez, who is 22-7, taking on Arnold Allen, who is 14-1. The opening betting line for this one was Arnold Allen, the favorite, at minus 245 to Gilbert Melendez at plus 175. Right now, we are seeing Arnold Allen minus 390 to Gilbert Melendez at plus 320. Much more action coming in on the favorite Arnold Allen's way, and deservingly so, Arnold Allen has looked 
very impressive lately in the UFC and you know throughout his entire UFC career his uh, only professional loss comes to uh, Martian Wachorczyk back in Cage Warriors in 2014 but uh, my man is on a seven fight win streak he is a five and oh in the UFC he's got a couple of nice uh, chokes in there and a couple of nice decision performances as well Gilbert Melendez, the uh, the veteran of the, the fight game, former Strike Force lightweight champion, he is coming off of a uh, a long layoff. The last fight was in September of 2017, so uh, one year and nine months away from the cage for Gilbert Melendez, and he's also on a four fight losing streak as well. And that last fight versus uh, Jeremy Stevens, he took a lot of punishment. That was only his first fight at featherweight and his debut you could say was unsuccessful at the least he he got his legs kicked off he had some massive massive damage that was done to his legs uh by uh gilbert or by jeremy stevens in that fight melendez just wasn't checking the leg kicks you know simple as that he uh he was doing well he showed incredible toughness uh throughout that fight by not getting finished even though his leg was chewed up just a few minutes into the fight he hung to he stood in there uh hung tough was uh you know trying to box a little bit with stevens but eventually the leg kicks just accumulated so much damage that stevens started to outbox melendez as well so melendez does have a path to victory in this fight he could come out here uh possibly hit offensive takedowns versus arnold allen and put him on his back like allen has struggled with in the past like versus mads Brunel. Um, you know, Melendez could come in here and try to outbox Arnold Allen, but the way I see it is Arnold Allen is just, you know, much more committed to the fight game at this point. He has been active and picking up victories over, uh, you know, good competition. He is, he is come back from, from, uh, from fights that he was losing, like the Mads Brunel fight when he pulled off the choke. He's had competitive, uh, high output grappling fights with Maquan Amerikami where he tested his cardio. He ended up on top, uh, in round round three when it really mattered when the fight was up for grabs Arnold Allen was able to gut it out and win that split decision on the cards um, and Arnold Allen is just you know his striking is really good he's real fast on the feet he's got solid boxing he's got good kicks as well he's real light on the feet and he, he has a wicked front kick man he, he he's really good at that kick uh, and he uh he has good takedown defense as well you know the where he gets taken down is is in the center of the cage uh, against the cage he can defend really well but uh and he can get up off his back as well too so it really took a high level grappler like Mads Brunel to uh, give uh, Allen some trouble on the mat and I just don't see Melendez being able to do so he he I would love for Melendez to come in here and, and turn back the clock and put on a great performance over a prospect like Allen but with that layoff that one year nine-month layoff uh you know with him dropping down to featherweight and having that unsuccessful debut he's getting up there in age melendez he's had suspensions from usada in the past he's no longer on the on the good the good dope um you know i, I just don't see that this being a very favorable matchup for him in this one i i honestly see it as uh, Melendez wanting to come back for a fight and the UFC uh, giving him Allen as uh, you know knowing that, that they have a great prospect in Arnold Allen and they're trying to get him a, a big victory on his resume so they're giving him Melendez in this one so 
uh, that's not really coming into how why I'm picking the fight. Now I'm picking the uh, Allen to win because he's the better fighter. He has the more pass the victories. He's the just going to be the quicker guy. I think the speed is going to be very evident in there on Saturday night. Allen should be stuffing the takedowns if uh, Melendez uh, attempts. So I think that Allen should be the quicker striker on the feet, and uh, he should win this fight comfortably. I'm going to go with a 30-27 decision for Arnold Allen. But where the betting line is now, it is Dogger Pass and Gilbert. Melendez at plus 320 is is worthy of a value bet, honestly. You know, he's still a crafty veteran. He's still tough as nails. He's hard to finish. He's, uh, I, I do not see Arnold Allen finishing him. So Melendez is going to be in his face the entire time. He's not going to be giving up. He's going to be marching forward, throwing punches, and Arnold Allen is going to have to be on his A game to beat him. And I think that Allen shows up. I think that he does get the victory, but it's dogger pass where the line is at right now. With that being said, we are moving on to the main card of the evening. We got five incredible fights for the pay-per-view portion of the card going down at 10 p.m. Eastern Time uh, from Las Vegas. Of course, the T-Mobile Arena, uh, the new home of the UFC in Las Vegas. So starting things off in the welterweight division, we got Michael Chiesa, who is 14-4, taking on Diego Sanchez, who is 29-11. The opening betting line for this one was Chiesa, the favorite, at minus 275. Sanchez, plus 195. Right now, we are seeing Chiesa, minus 350. Sanchez, plus 290. So I I disagree with the line movement in this one. I disagree with where the line was set. I think that Michael Chiesa should be 2-1 in this one. But I think that Sanchez plus 150 is an appropriate line, plus 170 at the very most. So where the line opened up had value and where the line is at now has value. Uh, you know, people keep underestimating Diego Sanchez. He was an underdog in the fight with Craig White. He was an underdog in the fight with Mickey Gall. He was, I bet him, at plus 285 versus Mickey Gall. Would you, would you believe that? That is just just unbelievable. You know, luckily he closed a plus 170 in that fight. You know, a little bit of money came back on him. People started throwing some respect on Diego's name. And they're doing it again. They're disrespecting him in this matchup. And But it's against it's against a good fighter in Chiesa. He's a much better fighter than Craig White or than Mickey Gall. Uh, Chiesa is, you know, just a phenomenal grappler. He has good takedowns he's got great back takes he has submitted some really great grapplers like jim miller and benil daryush and not only are those guys jujitsu black belts but those guys are experienced mma fighters they know how to use their jujitsu and mma effectively and kiesa was still able to go in there take their back and uh, take them out uh, Kiesa moving up from lightweight pretty recently. He took on Condit in his last fight. He took Condit down with a, a body lock trip takedown. Uh, Condit, you know, threatened with a little bit of something. He threatened with an arm bar. He, uh, you know, put uh, Kiesa in some bad spots. But, you know, Kiesa just uh, eventually dragged Condit back down to the mat and uh, eventually got it in a dominant position in side control. And he was able to get the armbar finished, the modified Kimura armbar, something like that. It was a really crafty submission by Kiesa in that fight. But despite him getting the submission in round two, I saw a lot of stuff in that fight that 
that I didn't like. And that was the way that Condit was able to scramble. Condit is a guy who has struggled with grappling his entire career. Never really been much uh, of a submission threat for the past 10 years or something like that. And he was still able to threaten with submissions and get back to his feet. He threatened with an arm bar and with an ankle lock. And he did a, a few arm bars. He threw up a few tight arm bars versus Chiesa and put him in some bad spots and was able to get back up to the feet. Now, the thing about this matchup is that Sanchez isn't going to be looking to get back up to the feet. His striking is very bad. He, it, it is it's stiff. It's predictable. It's you know it's not very fluid at all. He kind of just marches f- forward and throws bombs and th- to close the distance because he really wants to be grapple. He wants to grapple, and grappling is really his be- his bread and butter. He he's never been submitted. He has great wrestling, great jujitsu. He's been in this game for fifteen years straight. Man, the Ultimate Fighter won winner Diego Sanchez you know the ultimate original ultimate fighter can't say enough good things about them this guy just got the heart of a lion and I was just so ecstatic to see him pick up back-to-back victories picking up his first finish over Mickey Gall in the past uh you know I, I want to say almost 10 years his first finish uh so just uh really happy to see Diego get that victory in that one and I think it's kind of a similar matchup compared to the Mickey Gall fight. Mickey Gall was uh, supposedly the better grappler, was was, uh, was the almost a three to one favorite versus Sanchez throughout the the fight camp and fight week. And Sanchez came in there and out grappled him. He looked like the favorite. He outstruck him. He rocked him with a knee. He finished him with ground and pound. Sanchez just put on an incredible performance in that one. So I, I see this one. Uh, you know, both of these guys are. are are pretty uh, awkward on the feet. You know, Kiesa is is not good on the feet. He's hittable. He got dropped by Pettis. You know, he, he the, the IQ that he showed versus Pettis is just ridiculous, man. He gets kicked in the body and he shakes his finger at Pettis, acting like it doesn't hurt him, and then he gets dropped with a punch two seconds later. And he gets submitted with a triangle. 10 seconds later you know it's just it was a terrible performance from Kiesa in that one he totally shit the bed in that one he uh and he really struggled with Diego Sanchez's bottom or he struggled with Anthony Pettis's bottom game in that fight and I think that he will struggle with Diego Sanchez's bottom game I think that Sanchez will be scrambling constantly and we're we're in for a back and forth grappling type of a fight uh, both guys, you know, might be on each other's back. They might be in bounce. They might be scrambling all, all over the place. I think it's going to be a really competitive fight. If one man is finishing, I see Kiesa being the guy getting the submission. Although Sanchez has never been submitted, I I just think that Kiesa's grappling is a little is a little bit better. I think that his submission grappling is great. You know, the way he's able to take people's backs and choke them out. He's done that to some high-level grapplers, and even though Sanchez is a high-level grappler of himself, never been submitted, is tough to, to put in bad spots on the ground, Kiesa could certainly do it. But at the price what it's at now, plus 290 for Diego Sanchez to you know sprawl and brawl, try to stuff the takedowns of Kiesa, try to end up in top position. Um, try to reverse position when he gets put on his back man i love the chances at that diego sanchez at plus 290 will fight for your money he will scramble out of positions he will never accept bottom he will stuff takedowns he will get back to his feet he's it's gonna be a dog fight man uh so i see 
Kiesa having a slight edge on the ground, uh, a slight edge enough to be uh, maybe minus 150, minus 200 favorite. But where the price is at now, it's dog or pass all day. I got one unit locked in on Diego Sanchez at the current price of, uh, I think, 285 is where I got him at. So... I like Diego Sanchez's chances at winning this fight. I'm not picking him flat out to win the fight. I think that Chiesa still has uh, an advantage, and I think that he has uh, a path to victory with the submission. But I like Sanchez's chances at plus 290. Moving on to the next fight on the main card, we got Luke Rockhold, who is 16-4, taking on Jan Blahovich, who is 23-8. The opening betting line for this fight was Luke Rockhold minus 215, Jan Blachowicz plus 165. Right now we are seeing Rockhold minus 235, Blachowicz plus 195. So the line has stayed about the same, although there is two-way action coming in on this fight. It's a very close matchup, and it is a tough matchup for Luke Rockhold's 205-pound debut. He's moving up in weight class in this one, former middleweight champion. Has struggled lately, though. He lost his belt to Michael Bisping in a massive upset where he got knocked out in that one. He bounced back with a quick victory over David Branch with the ground-and-pound TKO in the second round. And then he was knocked out in his last fight versus Yoel Romero. Uh, he was supposed to take on Robert Whitaker at UFC 221. Whitaker pulled out, and it was announced that he would fight Yoel Romero instead for the interim title. And, you know, that pissed off Luke. You know, he he wanted to fight for the undisputed belt. He did not want to fight Yoel Romero, and he didn't get either. He, he, he had to fight Yoel, and... He did not get his interim belt. He was, he still took the fight because he wasn't going to pull out. He really didn't have an option to pull out. But he was upset with the fight. He didn't like the matchup. And you could see the frustration on his face throughout that fight. Even before the fight started, it looked like Rockhold was a little a little irritated. You know, It looked like he didn't really want to be there. It looked like he knew that he was up against it that night. He stated in the past, you know, he said, "Why well, don't I want to fight you well? You all doesn't make weight. You all is a cheater. You all is this. You all is that." You know, he didn't. He didn't want to fight you well, okay? And he he had to, and he got knocked out. Now, how is he going to bounce back for that? I have no idea. You know, he Rockhold has a huge ego on him, and I think that every single time the guy loses, it takes a lot out of him. It takes a big toll on his mental game, and it takes a big uh, toll on his ability to trust his physical tools. He, I don't think, is going to be the same fighter he ever once was. You know, the fighter that won the championship that knocked out, uh, or the uh, yeah, knocked out uh, Philippu and choked out Bisping and knocked out. Uh, Machida and Weidman back to back and got that belt. I think that guy's gone. That guy is 2015, 2016 Rockhold, and now it's 2019. I think that Luke Rockhold is just not nearly as dedicated as he was to fighting. He is, uh, you know, a professional model. He's probably making millions of dollars being a model. He does not have to fight in a cage. He does not have to, you know, get hit in the head for any longer. He was a champion. He's done everything in this career. I don't see him getting the belt at uh, 205 pounds. And I could see Luke Rockhold having one foot out the door. So when it comes down to the matchup, though, let's talk about how these two match up. Uh, uh, Jan Blachowicz, an established light heavyweight, been in the division for a long time, and has fought some very, very talented uh, light heavyweights. Lost his last fight to... Tiago Santos by knockout was fighting a good fight up until round three and he got a little little sloppy he blitzed 
uh, Tiago Santos in round three, and he got countered with a, a, a left hook, right hook combo and dropped and finished with some ground and pound. But up until that point, he was fighting well. He's an orthodox striker. He's got a great jab. Uh, he, uh, he does have a good chin, although he got knocked out by Santos last fight. He has done really well in the past dealing with heavy hitters, uh, you know, uh, most recently being, uh, Jimmy Manawa and Nikita Krylov. He dealt with both of those guys very well and picked up impressive victories. One with a submission over Krylov and a decision victory over Manawa. He showed good cardio in that Manawa fight. He showed a good chin. And he, he did a lot of great things in that fight. He's got a good uh, outside leg kick. Uh, I already mentioned how his his jab is really his best weapon. He's he's got good counter punching as well. Jan Blahovich, he was uh really counter punching uh, Manuel well with like an upper uh, a rear uppercut left hook combination. He rocked Manuel a few times with that, and he also has the ability to hit a double leg takedown and uh, stay in top position to get a submission. He's got really good grappling as well. Blahovich is just a phenomenally uh, well rounded fighter. Now we talked a lot about uh, Rockhold, you know, kind of my personal take on him and his career in the beginning, but let's get down to some more detailed analysis of the fighter that he is. He's that long southpaw. He's got a great, great kick. Uh, he'll go to the leg, the body, the head. He mixes it up very well. He uh, ne has always struggled with boxing, though, man. The boxing is his weakness. It's his Achilles heel. It's a glaring weakness for Rockhold that he got knocked out with the punches versus uh, Michael Bisping. He got caught in that one. He he got hit with some heavy shots versus Dave Branch when they fought. And then uh, in the last fight was uh, you know caught behind the ear with that big overhand left and finished with that punch, too. So... Rockhold just has very glaring weaknesses with his with his uh, boxing defense. And let me tell you something. He ain't fixing them. It's not in his nature to fix them. If he was a world champion without the boxing defense, he's not going to fix it. If he lost his world championship due to his poor boxing defense and didn't fix it, he's not fixing it now. He, you know, you might if you're if you're betting on Rockhold in this fight and you are banking on him making improvements over the past year and a half, don't. Okay, he's moving up 20 pounds in weight class. He's taking model gigs for Polo Sporting Goods. He is, uh, you know, getting uh, getting up there in age. He's I, I just don't like the matchup for him. He's fighting. He's he's getting thrown to the wolves right away. Getting a top five lightweight light heavyweight, a guy who's got good counter uh, counter punching. He's got a good style to deal with Rockhold. I'm really liking on Jan Blahovich in this matchup. Now I could be falling in love with the price tag. I could be think, you know seeing Blahovich at plus one ninety five and thinking that he's going to win this fight. But man, I really like Jan Blahovich's chances to win this fight. I think that he can counter punch Luke Rockhold. He could possibly test the chin of Rockhold, he could be uh, leg kicking Luke Rockhold, and it's going to be a really interesting fight. Now, Rockhold, I'm not totally counting the guy out. He could come in here and prove. He could come out here with a good game plan where he's kicking, he's staying at range, you know, lighting up the body kick of Lahovic, uh, mixing up with the head and the, the low kicks as well. He is capable of coming out here and winning this fight, but where the current price is, there's no way I trust Luke Rockhold at minus 235 in his late heavyweight debut, debut against an established uh, late heavyweight like Jan Blahovic. So I expect this fight to be a really, really good fight. It should be a really close t uh, technical striking battle. I give the edge to Rockhold in the kicking aspect of things. I give the edge to Jan in the boxing aspect of things. Uh, if this fight hits the floor... 
I'd say it's more likely that Jan Blahovic is the one looking to uh, offensively initiate the grappling. I don't think Rockhold is much of the uh, the uh, offensive grappler. He's not really the one to go out there and hit takedowns unless the opportunity really presents itself, like the, the Weidman spinning back kick. Then he can hit the takedown. But once he gets on the ground, Rockhold is talented, man. He's got great top control, great submissions, great ground and pound. Uh, and if this one hits the mats, it should be competitive as well. So I really see this fight as uh, you know a 50-50 type of fight, maybe a 55-45 type of lean for you, uh, for Rockhold because um, he should be the more technical, well-rounded fighter. But Blahovich has got the size advantage, I believe. He's got the experience at light heavyweight. He's been more active lately. He, I think, is improving more. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to pick Jan Blahovich to pull off the plus 195 upset against former champion Luke Rockhold. I think he's going to get it done by knockout. I think he will knock Luke Rockhold out in rounds two. Moving on to the next fight in the welterweight division, we got Ben Askren, who was undefeated at 19-0, taking on Jorge Masvidal, who is 33-13. The opening betting line for this one was Askren, the favorite, at minus 230, Masvidal plus 170. Right now, we are seeing Askren minus 235, Masvidal plus 195, so same odds as the last fight. Very interesting matchup in this one. We got Askren, the uh, notorious funk wrestler, folk-style wrestler, coming in here to take you down. He's got no striking. He's got great takedowns. He tra- he chains together takedowns uh, great. You know, he- he'll go from double to single to arm drag to back take to everything. He-, he mixes it up really well. And once he gets you on the ground, he's got great top control, great ground and pound. He, he-, he hand traps well, and he'll hit you with some really creative ground and pound. But that's really it. That's Askren's game. He's got bad striking. He desperately closes the distance to get the takedown. And if he can't get the takedown, it gets ugly. He starts shooting for ankles and grabbing legs and grabbing a hold of anything he can get a hold on. But a lot of his fights do end up on the ground. Or I mean, pretty much all of his fights end up on the ground. He is a, a, a very talented wrestler, and he will get Masvidal down at some point in this fight, I believe. Masvidal does have great takedown defense. He's been hard to take down in the past. Uh, only really high-level wrestlers and grapplers have been able to get him down to the past, but that's what he's up against here against Ben Askren. Jorge Masvidal is you know, an incredibly well-rounded MMA fighter, just a, a, you know, a guy who was born to fight he was put on this earth to fight you know he was he was boxing bare knuckle boxing in cargo shorts in south florida 15 years ago on on the internet and he's still fighting in cages uh in 2019 just a a veteran of the fight game huge fan of jorge masvidal and how can you not be man the guy can grapple he can wrestle he's got some of the best boxing in the UFC right now. He's got a great kicking game as well. There's just a lot to like about Masvidal. He is no question about it, the better mixed martial artist of the two. Now, let's get down to how this fight is going to play out, and it is how Masvidal deals with the takedowns. Is he going to be able to stuff the takedown in round one? The answer is no. 
I think that Askren, even if he shoots from, he he's gonna use that sloppy defense. He's gonna or that sloppy offense. Throw one, two, three, and then close the distance. And if you you're banking on Masvidal to knock him out on the way in, don't don't bank on him to knock him out. He's he's not gonna catch him on the way in with a punch or a knee or something. That's not how the fight is gonna end. Masvidal can win, but it's not with you know a, a, an anticipating knee on the way in that just knocks Askren out clean. Askren can take a fucking shot. He got thrown on his head and smashed with ground and pound last fight, and he still didn't go out unconscious and came back and won the fight three minutes later. So you really can't like rely on him getting knocked out flush by a shot from Masvidal, who's not really a power striker. So the fight comes down to how Masvidal reacts once he gets to the bottom, and I think that that's where the the matchup plays in favor for Masvidal. Now, Masvidal was taken down and controlled on the ground versus Damian Maya. He was tough to take down, but eventually uh, Maya pulled guard. He was able to get a standing back take and uh, take the back of Masvidal for uh, a little bit in round one of the fight. But Masvidal shook him off and he landed some heavy ground and pound to close the round. So he ended the round on top and he ended it with landing some punches while Maya had the early grappling and advantage. So that's where why you saw Masvidal get a split, lose a split decision in that fight because some judges saw Masvidal's a little bit of grappling or a little bit of ground and pound in the last 15 seconds outweigh Maya's you know four minutes about grappling so look for that to happen in this fight too if Askren is getting takedowns and holding on for dear life and clinching and not really doing much on the ground and Masvidal only lands a few punches in the round look for the judges to give the rounds to Masvidal they could be really close swing rounds so the fight gets to the ground. I think that Masvidal is not going to accept bottom. He's going to be getting back up to his feet. He's going to be threatening with submissions to create some space and get back to his feet. And then once it's back on the feet, Masvidal will win the striking. I have no question about it. Masvidal is leaps and bounds ahead of Askren in the striking. If Askren trained for 10 years straight in striking and Masvidal didn't train once, I still think Masvidal would be the better striker 10 years from now. So... Uh, Jorge Masvidal, once he gets back on the feet, should outstrike out Astrid clean. It's just a matter of how much time he can spend on the feet. If he can constantly stuff Ben Askren's takedowns, is he going to be able to keep Askren off him the entire time to land effective shots and possibly knock out Askren later in the fight? You know, I, I don't think so. I think that the most likely outcome for this fight is Askren wrestle fucking Masvidal for a decision. You know, Askren, really all he needs is three takedowns. He could take you down at the beginning of the round and he could keep you there. And even though I've been impressed with Masvidal's ability to get back to his feet and his bottom game and his defensive grappling, his submission defense that he shown, showed versus uh, Damian Maya. I think that uh, Askren is, you know, he's a beast on the ground. You don't disrespect him, man. He's got great top control, great ground and pound, great wrestling. He will, he will ride you like a horse for the entire 15 minutes if he needs to. So, uh, the the most likely path to victory is Askren getting the victory via, via decision, uh, via you know wrestling, uh, you know stalling, ground and pound, top position time. But I also can see a a a, a path to victory where Masvidal stuffs takedowns get backs to his feet and outstrikes Masvidal possibly getting a knockout or decision so it really is a, a close type of fight where the odds are at now I think it is dog or pass I think the the value is on Masvidal at plus 195 I think where the real 
value in this one is going to be around uh, Masvidal uh, after round one. When round one rolls around, if he is able to end the round on his feet or stuff some takedowns, get back up to his feet after he gets taken down, then I think Masvidal is going to be a live dog. He could possibly knock out uh, Askren in the later rounds or outstrike him rounds two and three for a decision. So, uh, you know, the pick, I, I got to go with my heart and go with Masvidal. I think he's the more crafty, the more experienced MMA fighter. And I think that if, you know, if the, the, the shit starts going bad for him, getting taken down, uh, I think he, he, just, he, he just has a way to win. He finds a way. Uh, he makes it work. You know, he, he didn't do it against uh, Maya or, or Wonderboy recently. But I think that Askren, his, uh, his, he might be a little overrated. You know, people... We're acting like he's some world beater coming in here, 18-0, and then, you know, Robbie Lawler threw him on his head, and people realized that he's just as human as everybody else. Now, he did win that fight with the controversial bulldog choke. He did get his hand raised at the end of the day, so it was an impressive uh, performance, the fact that he recovered from that. But, you know, speaking of impressive performance, Masvidal just knocked out Darren Till, you know, with that beautiful, uh, you know, lead check hook or whatever the fuck it was that he knocked Till out with. He just got Till's timing. He, he figured Till out. He outboxed him and then eventually knocked him out, which is a beautiful combination of punches in round two. Masvidal is just a warrior. He's got incredible fight IQ, and I got to trust the IQ, the experience, the well-roundedness of Masvidal to get up from the takedowns, to stuff the takedowns, and to outstrike Askin on the feet for Masvidal winning a decision 29-28. In the next fight in the women's bantamweight division for the championship, we got... Champion Amanda Nunes, seventeen and four, taking on Holly Holm, who is twelve and four. The betting line for this one is Amanda Nunes opened at minus three twenty-five. Holly Holm plus two seventy-five underdog. Right now, we are seeing Nunes minus three sixty-five to Holm plus three oh five. So that is a uh, Nick Kalikist opened line. He, you know, Kalikist doesn't open too many lines nowadays for uh, MMA fights. But when this fight was first announced, he uh, came out with a breakdown and he opened up that line himself. So if you are not unfamiliar, Nick Kalikist is one of or the leading odds maker uh, for MMA for the past 10, even 15 years. He's been making MMA betting lines. He was uh, long employed by Five Dimes. It is now uh, does a lot of consulting for other Five Dimes uh, around. Around, uh, or other sports books around the world so you might not have heard the name before but i, I can guarantee you you have um uh, reap reap the benefits of his work so uh click is open this line as nunez says the minus 325 favorite and that guy knows mma pretty much better than anybody on earth so hard to disagree with where that line is set amanda nunez minus 325 where it's at now a little steep I think that where the opening was set was was accurate and and no more. You know, I would not, I would not, I would bet Nunes at that price, but not not even five cents of a difference, um, whatever sense that makes. So, uh, getting down to the matchup and things, both of these women are dropping down from featherweight. Both of them fought their last fight at featherweight, or at their both their last two fights. Actually, no. Nunez's last fight was against Cyborg at featherweight. Holmes' last two fights were at featherweight against Cyborg and against Megan Anderson. So. Let's start with the champion, Amanda Nunez. Uh, 
she has, you know, kind of gotten her name for herself recently as a power puncher, just knocking chicks out like Ronda Rousey, choking girls out, uh, Misha Tate, Sarah McMahon, uh, knock, knock Chris Cyborg out, going up to featherweight and, you know, taking that undefeated record away from Cyborg. You know, she's just an incredible fighter. She's the, the best female mixed martial artist of all time. She, If she beats Holly Holm this weekend, she will be the first woman or she will have beaten every single women's bantamweight and featherweight champion in ufc and strike force history which is just an incredible accolade beating every single champion at two weight classes and two promotions it just it just goes to show how incredible amanda nunez is and she, her pound for pound power might be some of the best out of any fighter in the ufc and when i say that is the way that she hits other women at her weight class is more impactful than almost any other fighter at any other weight class. Now, the only, I mean, Francis Ngannou is a, is a good, uh, you know, is one of the pound for pound hardest hitters. Uh, Yo Romero is one of the hardest hitters, you know, but, and, and I'm telling you, Nunes at her weight class is right up there. Her power is just unmatched amongst these Bantamweights and Featherweights. So this fight's taking place at Bantamweight. Uh, Nunes, she's got long, powerful punches, incredibly fast boxing. She's got great low kicks. She'll dig to the calf on that one. She's got good, she's got good cardio as well. She's gone the, the full five rounds with, uh, Shevchenko. She got the fifth round finish versus Pennington last year she's got a great ground game good wrestling jiu-jitsu black belt good submissions um you know she can fight in a lot of different ways she can offensive wrestle you she can sprawl and brawl she can fight technical uh like a striking matchup like she did versus valentina or she can go out there and just brawl you or blitz you and take your head off like she did versus ronda rousey like she did versus chris cyborg in her last fight I just, you know, I, let me just emphasize how incredible that performance against uh, Chris Cyborg was, man. Every time I watch those 48 seconds of that fight, man, I get chills up and down my spine. The the commentary going crazy, just screaming their head off. They don't even know what to say. They're just screaming. You know, Nunes moving up in weight to, to face the undefeated Cyborg as a 2-1 to one underdog. And she just comes out there and smokes her in 45 seconds with a just... KOs her stiff, sent Cyborg flying through the air with an overhand right. Nunes is just an incredible, incredible talent. Uh, now getting over to Holly Holm, you know, an, another incredible fighter. No disrespect to Holm, she's magnificent. She's uh, up there uh, with Nunes as one of the best uh, female fighters of all time. She's, uh, you know, they got that classic southpaw style with that kickboxing, great jab, great head kicks, good distance management. She's always using the the front kicks, the the oblique kicks, turning side kicks. Uh, and she's got a you know very well-rounded game. She can hit offensive takedowns of her own. She can keep top position. But I don't think that she will be doing that in this fight. She might be clinching up with Nunez a lot. Holm really likes clinching uh, when you know she doesn't like what's going on on the feet. Like when Cyborg was hitting her with some big punches, Holm would clinch up, gather her thoughts, gather her breath, and then separate and try to try to work things again. And it worked effectively before. Cyborg really didn't have much of an answer for the clinch because Holm was just so strong in the clinch. Even though Holm was the uh, the smaller woman in the cage that night, her strength was was controlling Cyborg, and she was able to steal two uh, two rounds off of Cyborg in that fight despite losing. So, 
Uh, getting down to how these women will, uh, how this fight will play out, man. So Holly's path to victory is losing using uh, the kicks, man. If she does not kick effectively, she she can't win this fight. She will not outbox Amanda Nunes. She will not outgrapple Amanda Nunes. So if Holly Holm is attacking the oblique kick, she's uh, attacking the legs, trying to slow the movement of Amanda Nunes, using that body kick, throwing the jab, and just keeping the fight at a long range. That is how she wins the fight. She keeps Amanda away from her. She does not allow Amanda to getting get into punching range where she can use her power. And she's going to have to be on her bike. She's going to have to be circling. And she's going to have to, uh, you know, put on the best performance of her career to defeat Amanda Nunes in this fight. Uh, Nunes' game plan is also kind of similar. I, I think Nunes needs to attack the legs. She needs to limit the, the mobility of Holly Holm. Because Holm is going to be constantly circling, running, you know, laps around her, using her movement, using her in and out uh, movement with her long legs. Oh, Nunes has to slow down that movement, and I, and I think that the calf kicks, the inside leg kick to that that lead leg of the southpaw stance of home will be a big factor in this fight. You know, Cyborg was uh, attacking the leg kicks a lot versus home, and I expect Nunes to do the same. The thing about home is that her her style is a little bit predictable. She circles in the same fashion. She throws a lot of the same kicks. She comes in with the same stance and the same. Uh, output uh, ratio all the time you know she's a low output she does not throw many punches she's not going to come out there and surprise you by throwing a lot of strikes she's very meticulous in her movement and her timing and it's a little predictable you know she uh, uh cyborg was countering with right hands she was put, putting her up against the cage hitting her uh, you know forcing home to initiate first and then cyborg was just counter punching her with right hands and I see that uh, I see Nunes doing the same thing. I see uh, Nunes attacking the leg kick, counter punching home when she initiates the the exchanges. Nunes is going to be landing that right hand all day, and I think Nunes has a great chance at, at landing a power shot and knocking out Nunes along the way. So. Uh, I, I favor Nunes heavily in this fight. You know, I, I went over how Holly can win this fight with a kick heavy game plan with that distance management, but I don't see her implementing that game plan. I don't think that she will be able to keep Nunes off her. I think at some point Nunes closes the distance, gets in a boxing range, and then really just uh, dictates the fight once she gets there. She can either hurt Holly with a punch and possibly get her out of there, finishing Holly for the first time, or she could outstrike Holly home uh, to a decision, maybe mixing some offensive wrestling, some top control and you know just show her overall well-rounded mixed martial arts game so i expect amanda nunes to come out here and win the fight comfortably i think she will touch the chin of holly man you know i think that you know no one had finished cyborg before and and uh nunes's punching was just too much and i think that nunes is just on a different level right now i think she's in her physical prime she hits like a mac truck and i see her knocking out holly home i gotta go with the first round man i gotta go with the first round nunes has starched so many incredible women fighters in the first round uh why stop here so i i'm picking my girl amanda nunes to get the victory via first round knockout so that takes us to the main event of the evening for the light heavyweight championship. We got the champion John Bones Jones, who is 24-0 and 2, taking on Tiago Santos, who is 21 and 6. 
The opening betting line for this one was John Jones, the minus 850 favorite to Tiago Santos at plus 625. Right now, we are seeing John Jones minus 650 to Tiago Santos at plus 475. Now, I believe uh, Nick Leak has opened this fight minus 700 for Jones and Santos plus 500. So a little bit different than the minus 850 plus 625 opener that I just mentioned. Um, but, you know, Kalik is, uh, regardless, uh, agreeing with Jones being a 7-1 favorite in this fight. And I couldn't agree more. I think where the line is set is is very accurate. Uh, you know, we're you know here's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with one of the the best well-rounded mixed martial arts of all time, top five fighters of all time, no doubt. John Jones, some of the best fi- fight IQ, um, some of the, the the best just overall MMA skills that we've ever seen. Uh, not the greatest of all time you know you can't make that definitive argument he's one of the greatest of all time i'm not going to single it out and say that one fighter is the greatest of all time but he's taken on tiago santos who is a powerhouse striker uh santos is a former middleweight moved up to light heavyweight in this one and has looked great at light heavyweight so far picking up victories over um eric anders via dr stoppage after the third round he knocked out Jimmy Manowin in an absolute slobber knocker of a fight. And then he knocked out Jan Blachowicz in his last fight uh, in the third round with some beautiful counter punch, right, left hook, right hook combo. So Santos has looked great at light heavyweight so far, and that is why he's getting the title shot. He's got three wins in a row. They've all been finishes. They've all been exciting fights, and... That's the reason why he's getting matched up with Jones here. Jones wants to stay active, wants to take on a lot of different uh, opponents, and he's getting that fight here. So Santos has a very slim path to victory. I think that Santos' only way he can win this fight is if he comes out and leg kicks John Jones early. He sets up the punches with the leg kicks. So if he, he starts the fight, no punches, not blitzing, not going crazy. Just you know, be careful of the takedown. Jones is not going to be the one to throw the first punch and to swarm Santos into the pocket. He just got to watch the early takedown of John Jones. So then Santos has got to get off a couple good leg kicks. And right when he gets John Jones thinking about the leg kicks, then he has to unleash the punches. That's when Santos can get the job done. Now, it is a very, very small window that he's looking at to get the job done. But make no mistake, man. Tiago Santos throws absolute bombs. John Jones's boxing defense is not very good. It's always, you know, kind of been his Achilles heel. His bo- offensive boxing and defensive boxing has, have always been his his weakest aspect of his game. So if Santos gets him thinking about that low kick, throwing some power power calf kicks, gets his leg hurting, and then swarms him with the punches, that is where Santos can win the fight. But if he does not knock Jones out in the first maybe few exchanges then I, I see his his chances going down and down and down. As the fight goes on, Jones will figure him out more. He will get his timing down. He will download all of Santos's information and have him figure it out uh, by seven and a half minutes into the fight. So Santos's path to victory is an early knockout. The later the fight goes, the worse it'll be for Santos. Uh, Santos's grappling is his weakness. He has had problems with wrestlers, with grapplers, has been taken down and choked out before. The, the fight that really comes to mind is the Eric Spicy fight. He was, you know, he got a guard pulled on him. He got his back taken and he got choking out, choked out. So 
he's shown a weakness on the ground. He has lost by submissions a few times. And I'd say that John Jones is going to look to get the takedown in this fight and look to exploit Santos on the ground. I don't see Santos or I don't see Jones uh, hunting a submission on Mahetta here. I see him more wearing on on Santos, you know, just being heavy on top, uh, not giving Santos any room to escape, and then eventually getting uh, a TKO from top position in round three or four in this one. Um, that's definitely the most likely uh, outcome. You know, Jones could coast to a decision. He could, like he did uh, against Anthony Smith, and win a decision, uh, a comfortable decision in that one. Um, and of course, you know, Santos could knock him out early, but his chances are, you know, right around 15, 20%, uh, somewhere around there. I'll be definitely cheering for Santos. I've been, been a big fan of the guy for a long time. His fights have always delivered. His fights against Jimmy Mana was, was one of my favorite fights of all time, just because it was just such a crazy, chaotic, uh, full power in every shot type of fight. And it was just, you know, I loved it. It was just chaos. But um, Santos, unfortunately, is uh, if he comes out here fighting like that against Jones, he's going to get taken down. He's going to get put on his back, and he's going to get smashed with some ground and pound, get his guard passed, possibly get choked out, and uh, most likely get uh, finished with some ground and pound. But it should be a great fight. It's going to be entertaining to see if Santos could possibly you know, pull off that Cinderella upset and uh, touch the chin of Jones and put him out in this one. It would be you know, an incredible, incredible moment in MMA if John Jones got his first loss. And uh, I like Santos's chances a lot better than I did Anthony Smith. Even I like his chances even better than Anthony uh, than Alexander Gustafsson. But uh, when it comes down to it, uh, the odds are stacked up against him. He's fighting one of the greatest fighters of all time. And he will likely uh, lose this fight. So we got a great pay per view that going down this Saturday. It's you know from top to bottom, it's got some great matchups. You know I'm really looking forward to a lot of different fights on this card. Uh, I you know broke down the main card fights. Some of the fights I probably talked about for 10 minutes straight, just because they're really high level matchups. They have a lot of path to victories. I did a lot of tape on these fights, and I found some very interesting uh, thoughts on them. I wanted to share with you all. So um, I hope you all enjoyed this portion of the podcast. This has been uh, John with the uh, 66 edition of martian mma and now we're going to transition into the the part where i'm talking to my man jamie where we just you know lightly discuss the card uh we talk about a few fights we get uh we get pretty into depth into Rockhold and blahovich we get in depth into Askren and Vidal and the two uh title fights of course and uh i recommend sticking around and hearing jamie's thoughts on the fights because you know he he really uh presented some good points has a real good understanding of mma and uh conveyed his points in a really uh uh, you know, uh, entertaining in, in, in informative way. So stick around for the, the portion with Jamie. Hopefully you don't get uh, annoyed of hearing myself, you know, reiterate myself too many times. Cause I'm sure I repeated myself, uh, in, you know, the, the past hour in 15 minutes as I did, uh, in the last hour with Jamie. So hopefully it doesn't get on your nerves. And with that being said, we're going to transition over to the portion with Jamie. All right, I am now joined on the Martian MMA podcast by my man, Jamie. What's up, Jamie? Hey, John, it's Jamie here. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yeah, man, you uh, reached out to me via Reddit and said you'd uh, like to be on the podcast, and I was happy to have you, happy to hear that you're listening and supporting the Martian MMA program. So uh, let's uh, get down to talking about these fights, right? Absolutely. I mean, we have a very stacked card ahead of us, lots of good names. I mean no surprises there it is the international fight week 
pay-per-view after all. One of the marquee events of the year for the UFC. Alongside, what, the MSG card in November and potentially the, the end of the year card they traditionally have. So, you know, it's a very, very nice card on, on the face of it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Those are, you know, the three three big pay-per-views. I think this one used to be the biggest by far, but now that that November MSG card has kind of surfaced the past three years, that's kind of rivaled with it. But the International Fight Week card will always uh, stand out as, you know, a big moment uh, for MMA and probably the biggest MMA card of the year on paper because it just gets so much uh, international coverage from, you know, they usually stack it up with uh, international fighters. Then they got Tiago Santos and Amanda Nunes from, uh, representing Brazil in the main and co-main event. So I'm sure there's a lot of Brazilians out there in Vegas and I'm sure everyone's having a good time. They got the fan expo going on. They got you know, all the open workouts, the meet and greets, uh, it seems like a good time. And, and of course, you know, the fights at the end of the week, that's what really matters. Yeah, absolutely. Two titles on the line and some very intriguing matchups throughout the entire card, you have to say. Oh, yeah. I mean, top to bottom, uh, you know, you and I will probably focus on the main card, but, you know, any uh, any spots on the prelims that are catching your eye? Oh, good question. I think... Personally, my favorite has to be Perez versus Song on the prelims. I think that's a very high-level, um, good quality fight between two two prospects, really, that are rising in the bantamweight division. And that division is, is full of stars coming up. You know, you have Peter Yan, you have all these guys coming up. It's, it's very exciting for the bantamweight division right now. Yeah, I, I can't wait personally for that one. Uh, you know, Song Yudong, I'm curious to see what he looks like against this uh, upper echelon of competition. And this might be his United States debut as well, which should be, uh, you know, I, actually, I mean, he ha trains at an alpha male. So I imagine that he's fought in the U.S. before. But, uh, you know, he's going to make his big time debut, getting, you know, Rogan and everyone commentating his fights, getting his name out there. You know, all he has to do is have a, a decent performance and Rogan will have him on his podcast next week. So <laughs> I won't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, but that is a great matchup. You know, Turbo Perez has a way of uh, squeaking out decisions and I'm sure that he, he will put up a, a good fight for uh, Song Yidong on Saturday night, so I'm looking forward to that one. Any other matchups on the card? We got Gedalia, the the veteran, uh, taking on Marcos. That should be a good one. Not, not the not the greatest, you know, matchup that jumps off the paper though. Well, if I be honest, I'm looking through like through the card, and the one that jumps up next is Luke Rockhold against Jan Blachowicz. We have Rockhold's debut at 205, a division that I've always thought he should have been. In a long time ago, he was just hurting himself, cutting so deep to 185 to middleweight. And, uh, you know, they've really kind of thrown him straight in here. He's fighting against somebody who's ranked number six, a legit, um, legit fighter in Yan. And uh, I think this should be a very exciting fight. Luke Rockhold, his fights, win or lose, always exciting, always ends up in some kind of crazy finish. So I have a lot of high hopes for that particular fight. Yeah, you're right about getting thrown to the wolves, man. You would have thought that. I mean, I think it's honestly a kind of a bad move. You got a former champion 
a very, I would say, potentially likable guy. He has the personality, the look, and the fighting style to be an exciting and uh, lovable fighter, but just a little bit of the personality that you know kind of conflicts with it. But you're really sending him up there, uh, up 20 pounds in a weight class. People forget there's a difference between 25 and 35. That's massive. But this is 20 pounds. That's double the weight class that most of these people are going up to. And he's getting thrown in there against a very well-rounded fighter in Jan Blachowicz. And I think that they, they it would have been wise to give him a little uh, easier of an opponent than Blahovich, you know, th- maybe one of the top five guys in the division, uh, just getting thrown to the wolves. So, uh, what do you think of Rockhold's chances Saturday night? You like you liking him to win this fight, or are you thinking that the the Polish will pull it off? I mean, this isn't a, a gimme fight, as you said. Um, it's interesting. I was looking at it because at first I thought, wow, what a terrible matchup. For Rockhold, he has uh, an issue with people getting into the pocket with him and boxing him up. He's always had that that problem where he backs up in a straight line without any head movement, and he got caught by Bisping doing it. And even David Brunch was able to catch him with some decent hands. But uh, you know, when you look into it further, there are weaknesses in Jan's game, which which Rockhold can exploit. Um, I mean, if you look at Jan, he's a very, I would say, a very cautious fighter where he doesn't like to take many chances. Um, He has a fairly sound defense, but look into a bit further. He doesn't like to take heavy body kicks. The the nasty left kick that uh, Rockhold likes to land on people, that could be a real weapon and uh, that can be used to make Jan's life very, very difficult, I think. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you just said. Blahovich does have very good boxing, but the the fortunate thing for Rocco in this matchup is that he's not really a uh, an aggressive boxer that that takes the the fight to you with his hands. He's more of a counter puncher. And you saw him do that very well in the fight with Manoa and the fight with Blahovich or uh, the fight with Santos uh, before he got caught in the third round versus Maheta. But, uh, you know, this is a tough matchup. And, you know, you said it's a, it's a gimme fight. Is that what you said? Is that what you no, described it at the beginning? I said this is definitely not a gimme fight. Oh, yeah. I No, but, like, I forget what term you were using. Like, I, I mean, I honestly think it's a toss-up. I don't know if that was, you know, you're using some English term to, to refer to it as, like, a <laughs> 50-50 fight as well. Yeah, I, this is uh, definitely a fight where either either fighter can come ahead. I mean, here's here's the thing, John. Both fighters have holes in their games that other can exploit. So it's a bit, I see this as a bit of a, a glass cannon versus glass cannon where whoever, whoever can get that first initial heavy damage in will probably win this. That's the way I see it. Yeah, that, that's a great, great point. You know, I think that, but the one thing about Blahovich is I think he takes a, a bit of a better shot than Rockhold does because in that fight with Blahovich or goddamn, uh, with uh, Manawa, rather the rematch, he, he took some massive shots from Manawa and those are uh, a full grown 205 pound Manawa, uh, you know, big punches and kicks that he took in that fight. And he, his chin looked good. Although he did get knocked out in the last fight by Santos's, uh, you know, a couple hooks counter punching him in the third round. I think that Mano or Blahovich's chin is, is pretty solid. And I think Rockwood's chin is, you know, very suspect, you know, you know, never know how his chin will be, uh, after getting knocked out by, 
um, multiple people by Vitor Belfort, by Michael Bisping, and then most recently by Yoel Romero. And, you know, when it comes to his boxing defense, I do not think that Rockhold is capable of fixing it. If he was capable of fixing it, he would have fixed it after he lost to Bisping. If he was capable of fixing it, he would have fixed it after he got tagged up by Branch, like you said. And now we're supposed to believe that he fixed it after he got caught with a, you know, a looping overhand left from Yoel Romero and knocked out. I really don't buy that he's just going to come in here um, and be uh, a much improved fighter. And the way I really think about this matchup is that uh, I- I'm worried for Luke, honestly. Uh, he's coming up in weight. He's coming off that year and a half layoff. He... Who knows how dedicated he was to training at that time? You know, he's always got uh, modeling gigs, and I think that he's got a great career uh, path as, you know, in his back pocket if he wants to use it. So I kind of – I'm not saying that he's, his motivation isn't there and that he's got one foot out the door, but he does have a very reliable, a very, you know, wealthy – plan B to go back on if fighting doesn't work for him. And I, I don't know. I, the fight with Yoel Romero – I saw it on his face that he, he he didn't have that killer instinct. He wanted to fight Whitaker, and he got Romero instead for the interim title. And he he wasn't feeling the fight. He didn't like the matchup. He didn't want to fight you well. And he had you know low intensity, low aggressiveness in that fight, and he got knocked out. So I really don't think that Luke Rockhold's career uh, has much uh, more potential. I think that his ceiling has been set at the, as the middleweight champion. I think that he's coming in here against Jan Blahovich, who's uh, a very well-rounded light heavyweight. And I think Luke Rockhold's going to have to pack two lunches uh, on Saturday <laughs> night if he wants to have a competitive fight with Blahovich. And I and I think that uh, you know obviously he could come in here and have the motivation and uh, look you know like the old Rockhold and stick to a kicking game plan and you know l- uh, look good in there. But I don't see it. I like Blahovich's chances at in this fight. And maybe I'm a little bit influenced by the fact that Blahovich is almost a two to one underdog and I'm kind of falling in love with the price a little bit. And I'm just thinking that Blahovich is going to win, but I really like Blahovich's chances. And this, I didn't think this way until uh, yesterday or two days ago, I started watching the, the tape on, on these two and I just saw that I saw the, the, look in Rockhold's eyes during that fight. And it seemed like the fight was out of him with Romero. It seemed like he didn't really want to be an MMA fighter anymore. So maybe I'm, I'm, you know, generalizing things and making unfair accusations, but what do you think about what I just said? Does any of that make sense? Or do you think I'm kind of jumping ahead? Oh, I tend to agree with you. I think on the line, uh, Rockhold as such a big favorite. I think he's minus two twenty. It's, it's a, it's a very large number. That's yep. a very, very big favorite for somebody who's moving into a new division. I think you're absolutely right about uh, you know that the stage of his career, he's not going to be able to fix certain things. There are going to be ingrained habits that he, he he's been using his entire career. Very, very difficult, such as you know that low right hand, that low lead hand. He never keeps that hand up, which is how Bisping was able to catch him, and. It's it's gonna you know it's gonna be very interesting. However, I'm gonna play the devil's advocate a little bit in this one, and I'm gonna say, Jan has a very boxing-centric stance. He's very heavy in that lead leg, and we've seen Rockhold very effectively chop that lead leg, going to the inside with that power kick, going to the body. And one of the other things Jan does, which is very bad for this particular fight, is he likes to lower his hands to block. Body kicks. I saw him doing that in the Santos fight. Now, 
here's the thing. As a side pull, rock cold can go low to the leg, to the body. And if Jan keeps dropping his hands like that, he can, he can go high, right? It's the classic crow cop game plan. And it's this, the same thing that Valentina Shevchenko was was using to send poor Jessica I to the Shadow Realm. It's, it's a classic side pull strategy <laughs> that you can use to punish orthodox fighters that drop their hands like that. So definitely there's some dangers in that fight for, for both guys. But I, I agree with you. The line is far too much in the favor of Rockhold. Um, I'll be much more confident if he had a fight at 205 already and he looked good and he could take a punch. But we don't know that. I mean, you're, you're right. 20 pounds is a very large amount of weight. Jan is going to be punching far harder than pretty much anyone Luke has fought in his career, maybe with the exception of Yor Romero. I, I, I just imagine Yor to be a, a monstrous puncher, so you, you, you don't quite know about that one. But certainly, he's going to be at a, at a level up, uh, at a level above the, the rest of the competition Luke has fought. So it's yeah, it's, it seems like a strange line to set. Yeah, I just think that the the I I forget what this line opened at, but I think the public has just bet Rockhold up a lot. They're I think they're the public has a, a shame or a tendency to bet, uh, you know, old ways. They see Rockhold coming back, and they see as as you know, not a non elite striker in Blahovich, and they think that it's a winnable fight for him. And people are betting that up. And I've seen a lot of you know good betters on Rockhold this week, so maybe maybe we're missing something, but. Uh, we're, we're, we're both liking Blahovich's chances in this fight. Uh, should be a good one. You know, we talked about this one already for 10 minutes, so we got to move on to a different one. But, uh, so what other fights on the main card are interest are interesting you the most? Uh, we only got a few more besides the title fights before we get into them a little later, but, uh, what are you more excited for? Well, I, I think I know the answer to this question. Let's talk about Askren and Masvidal. What are your thoughts on this fight? So just off the top of your mind. Wow, okay. So Askren's second bout in the UFC, he is certainly not getting easy matchups um, against Jorge Masvidal, a man very well known for his three-piece and soda combo, let me tell you that much. Um, the thing about Ben Askren is that his game plan is obvious. And I don't mean that it's easy to fight him, but you know exactly what you're going to get when you do fight him. Ben Askren is looking to take you down and keep you there. If you get up, he'll try to mat return you. That's it. Let's be honest here. His stand-up is non-existent, right? So every second Askren is on the feet, it's a second he's risking getting badly hurt, especially against a guy like Masvidal, who, you know, has had so many fights. He's an experienced vet, very, very extremely well-rounded, dangerous everywhere with his with his Muay Thai and even on the ground. So if you ask me, this fight really boils down to how good Masvidal's defensive grappling is. I mean, that's that's the question we, we have to ask. What do you think? So when the fight was first announced, I thought it favored Askren. And when I thought back to Masvidal getting taken down by Maya, and I remembered him, I remembered, you know, it was kind of a, a low... Uh, intensity grappling fight the first time I watched it live, you know, two years ago. But I rewatched that fight just a few hours ago, and it was much different than I remembered. I think that Masvidal's defensive grappling in that fight was was pretty great, honestly, considered the opponent he was facing in 
Damian Maya. I thought that he was very hard to take down in round one. I thought that he, you know, landed uh, good good strikes from top position when he got in top position, and you know, made a lasting impression with the judges. I think that he, you know, defended the submissions great. You know, he was never really in too much of a submission threat. Defended the rear naked chokes, had his back taken a few times, and he escaped all that. And his his sprawl at range, I think, is very good. I think that he was uh, sprawling or stuffing the first shot of Damian Maya quite easily. It was only when Maya strung together two to three takedowns was he able to get uh, Masvidal down. Um, but the thing is, Askren is going to do that too. I think Askren is going to do it much better than Damian Maya. He strings together takedowns very well. You know, if you, in, even in the fight with Robbie Lawler, when he was starting off that fight, he went double leg to arm drag to single leg and was going to all these different takedowns before he got thrown on his head. Um, fortunately uh, f- for him in this matchup, I don't think uh, Masvidal has that pure strength uh, that Lawler does and just... I don't know, man. There is something I think very few welterweights would be, would have been able to do what Robbie Lawler did and just pick that pick a grown Ben Ask 190 pound Ben Askren up uh, while going for a takedown and just slam him on his head. So the fight I think really comes down to if Masvidal will be able to get up from the the takedowns once he gets taken down because i think it is inevitable that uh Askren will string together takedowns and get masvidal down to the map but i also really like masvidal's chances at not accepting bottom and getting back to his feet or threatening with a, a submission like a, ch- a choke or an anaconda a dars maybe even a kimura and trying to get back to his feet he's not going to try to submit ben Askren. he wants to create just enough space to get back to his feet to, to get to striking because I think that every second that Jorge Masvidal spends in the feet, he is winning. And every second that, that they spend on the ground, I think is, is kind of up in the air. I don't think it's a definite that if Askren gets him down, he will win. I think Masvidal's, you know, got great getups. I think he's got great jujitsu. Uh, you know, he's even got a good wrestling base too. So I like Masvidal's chances in this fight. Uh, I think it's worth, uh, you know, maybe a, a bet on Masvidal pre-fight um, because I think that hit, the odds are a bit wide now. But the, where the real action I think it, you're going to look for is Masvidal after round one. If he is able to not accept bottom position and to stay off his back in round one, then I think the fight is his. So that's my take on the fight. Uh, what, what more are you thinking? What do you think of uh, Masvidal's grappling and what do you think of his chances in this one? You know, you could have just taken that straight out of my mind. I completely agree. I think Masvidal's being a little bit underlooked here. And I'm not really sure why. His takedown defense is pretty good. He's not elite. I mean, it's it's not, uh, you know, Kobe Covington. But it's pretty well. And he scrambles good. And you can see that in his fights against Chiesa, against Maya. Now, I know you mentioned that Maya was able to take him down and control him. But... Uh, the one thing I do want to mention at this point is Maya's control is very different from Askren, right? Because Maya is using a very traditional style of jujitsu control, heavy top pressure in order to pass guard, get the hooks, find a choke. Askren, on the other hand, is, is very folk style orientated. He's looking to, you know, take the ride when the opponent starts building the base and turtles. So he doesn't look for, for the hooks and, and the back control. Not, Here's the thing, Masvidal, 
his one of his main training partners is no other than Kobe Covington, right? So I would argue that he he is far more familiar with that folk style wrestling that uh, um, Ben would be using compared to Maya. I could be completely wrong this one, but it just feels to me that uh, in this fight, if if Ben Askren does not stop Masvidal from popping up every so often, he's in trouble because every second on the feet, Askren is is just vulnerable. That's that's the way I see it. Um, Masvidal can land big knees, big big strikes coming in. And here's another thing, right? Because I don't think Askren is good enough to finish Masvidal at least quickly. So this is probably going to go past at least round two, maybe even to round three to decision. So you got three rounds, and at the start of every round, they start on the feet. So every round, Askren has to risk closing the distance and getting to a clinch or shooting for some kind of takedown. And you bet that Masvidal is training his butt off in how to counter the, the closing of distance with appropriate strikes. Now, the one thing is we have seen Askren taking big shots, even outside in the UFC. And it, surviving, so he's got clearly got a, quite a decent chin, and he can take a good shot, and that may play to his favour. But you know, it just doesn't take much. A good knee, even from somebody like Masvidal, is enough to put him into deep trouble. So um, I agree with you. I think this line at uh, what is it minus two thirty for Askren? Again, that's a, a very very uh, very high number for for Askren. He's a uh, I think it's like seventy percent implied odds. Asking winning, and those numbers are generally reserved for people that you have a large history of, you know, you have some level of confidence. And for this fight, I don't. Yeah, you uh, picked up on a couple, a couple good points that I missed out on, and the the best one I think was the the control of Maya. Maya has that jujitsu style, and I think that he's better at holding people down than he is at getting people down. You know, his takedowns have always kind of been his, uh, you know, his weakness in his game along with his striking too. But, uh, you know, sometimes he has struggled getting the takedowns on high level wrestlers, but you know, when he got Masvidal down, even if the, the shot was sloppy and the, the takedown itself wasn't pretty, he would hold Masvidal down with just his top pressure. But uh, Askren doesn't really have that, that type of style. He, he kind of rides you, like you said. He looks for ground and pound. And when he looks for ground and pound, he leaves a little bit of space for you to, you know, explode out of there and try to get back to your feet, try to create some space. So that is where Masvidal, uh, you know, is going to have to make the most of his opportunities. When If he gets put on his back, he's just going to have to wait for that. Right when uh, Askren tries to step over his guard, he's going to have to create that space, get back to his feet. And, uh, you know, it's not going to stop. It's going to be a grueling fight. It's going to be like a relentless takedown type of fight. But the way Askren win or the way Masvidal wins it is by keeping stuffing shots and just landing a few shots on the feet. And then the judges are going to see Askren shooting. They're going to see him not getting the takedown. And I honestly think that uh, Masvidal has a good chance of winning a decision, even though what you said about the fight starting on the feet and, you know, Masvidal being a very dangerous striker. I don't, I don't, I don't think he has that one strike knockout power. Now that sounds kind of silly coming off of the, the the knockout win over uh 
Darren Till last fight when he he it was kind of a one punch knockout. He hit him with that that lead left hook and you know pretty much knocked Till out with one punch. Although he followed it up with you know several more punches, but he was setting that punch up for a while. He was taking over that fight. He was outboxing Miles Vidal, and that was uh, a you know a, a punch that was accumulated over time. I don't think that. Masvidal has a good chance to, you know, knock an Askren out on the way in. That's what everyone said about Connor. Oh, Connor's going to knock Khabib out on the way in. Well, he really didn't even have a chance, I think, to, to do that. And, you know, I, I fell I victim to that narrative. I was like, oh, yeah, he'll just uppercut him on the way in for a takedown and knock Khabib out. Well, it didn't work out too well for me and neither for Connor. So I don't, I don't think that Masvidal will knock Askren out in this one. I honestly think that Mazudol uh, will win a decision. I think that he will stuff those shots. He will land the cleaner strikes on the feet. Askren's going to be diving and shooting for legs and ankles and anything he can grab a hold of. But Mazudol is going to be sprawling and brawling, uh, avoiding that takedown, avoiding the grappling, and uh, you know win his way onto a decision. I'd say he's going to win the rounds two and three and uh, take this one 29-28 on the cards. What's, what's your official prediction for the way it ends? Oof, I mean, this is a tough one. This really is a, a tough one to predict. Um, the way I see it, Las Vidal does everything right, but just gets out wrestled and out pointed for a decision. Um, having said that, it's definitely within the realms of possibility that Mas Vidal wins a decision. I think your your argument makes a lot of sense. We've actually seen that happen very recently, haven't we, in the Horiguchi Caldwell fight to an extent, where one fighter, yeah. a, a dominant wrestler, was trying to hold on a striker, and you know, due to a lack of damage, he lost the fight. So these things are entirely legitimate in the in the scoring criteria. And at 190, as the underdog, Masvidal is definitely value. I think it's a good value bet here. I, I disagree with that line. Yeah, good good point. The the most I'd say the most likely outcome is still Askren by getting three takedowns and winning on top with those three takedowns. Despite, you know, all the, all the shit we've been saying for the past five, seven minutes, that's still the most <laughs> path, uh, likely path to victory for either fighter. But I just like Masvidal's chances at plus 195, you know, whatever his decision prop is too. I think that that's a good price, but I think that, uh, you know, we could see a finish from Masvidal along the way. So, it's better to go on the money line than to go on the decision prop. Um, but, you know, it, it's going to be a great fight. It's going to be a, a war, a, a takedown defense and wrestling type of fight. I really like those fights. You know, fights when it's just grinding and, uh, you know, against the cage and stuff and takedowns. Those are the hardest type of fights. They might not be the most uh, exciting to watch, but they are definitely the hardest fights to prepare for and to grind out when you're in that cage. And that's what I can really appreciate. So I'm hoping the fight, you know, turns out well. Hopefully, you know, the last Ben Askren fight, we really didn't get to see play out as much as we uh, we wanted with how uh, that weird ending was. But uh, hopefully this one plays out into a, a great fight. Um, so, well, the, let's move on to the title fights for the evening. In uh, the first one, we got the Bantamweight title was on the line. The women's Bantamweight title between champion Amanda Nunes, the double champ, versus Holly Holm. Both women moving down from featherweight in this one but uh their last fights were both take place at the 145 pound division now they're going back down to their natural weight class at 135 pounds so what are your thoughts on this matchup between you know possibly two of the best uh women's mma fighters of all time 
Well, first of all, John, can I just say yet another title shot for Holly Holm? Here's a crazy never start. enough. It's never <laughs> this enough. Is her fourth, this is her fourth title shot in eight fights. So somewhere she must have found an unlimited title shot coupon. That's the only explanation I can find. Yeah, her. I think the UFC has a lot of IOUs to her manager for some reason. Don't know why, but crazy, isn't it? Anyway, hey, outside... I, I like her though. I like her, so I'm I'm happy. If they were giving the title shots to Jermaine Durandame nonstop, you know, I might have a little bit of a problem. But you know, Holly, she she she's cool in my book. Um, I actually think it's a it's a great matchup because it's one of the very few remaining challenges left for Nunes outside of a cyber rematch. There isn't really anyone left for her at 135 or 45. If you think about it, so. Hey, why not? I mean, this, as you said, is a very exciting matchup because it's between two very high-level um, fighters in in the women's division. So, so um, as I was saying, it was it's you know it's the only interesting challenge left for Nunes outside of a, a cyborg rematch. There isn't anyone left for her one thirty-five or forty-fives. So, um, having said all that, what do you think of this matchup? Who do you favor? Uh, I'm going with the favorite, Amanda Nunes. I'm liking her chances in this one, but where the current odds are at, I don't think that – I think that it might be dogger pass at this point. Uh, you know, Amanda Nunes at uh, minus 365. I like her chances at winning this fight. I think she should be around uh, minus 300, but, you know, don't get her twisted. Holly Holm has a path to victory. Um, so what, what about you? What are you thinking about the odds in this one? Oh. It's hard not to favor Nunes. There is one thing Holm does have going for her that I'll, I'll touch back later. But the way I, I analyze this fight is I looked at Holm's game because it's largely remained unchanged, right? So if you look at what she does, it's a lot of lateral movement on the outside, keep distance with the side kick and the view kick. And when pressured, essentially try to circle out, blitz in with punches, look to step outside the league leg and land left straight occasionally look for that left high kick. So it's a very static game. I don't think she's altered it too much with the exception of her, her last fight where she went very grappling orientated. So that, that was a bit of a surprise. Um, on top of that, you know, she has a, a very good gas tank, recovers well, so it's very tough to her away. Her losses tend to be decisions. Now, the blueprint to beat Holly Holm is already out there for an orthodox striker. If you look at what Jermaine Durandamy and Cyborg did, they used a very similar strategy to beat home. What they did was they pressured her, they forced her to circle on the outside, they cut the cage and patiently just waited for her to lead and blitz it. When she in inevitably did, they just simply counted with the right hand as she came in. And that connected every time because Holly, she always comes in on a straight line on entry. She doesn't really move her head that much off the center line. And she always commits to the left hand. So it's very predictable. And on the exit, they would kick her leg. So she couldn't kick the leg because she was moving out. And over, over the rounds, she just got chewed up. And in fact, when Shevchenko fought home, Shevchenko adopted a similar strategy, except she really didn't pressure. But very bizarrely, home decided to come in anyway and lead against her. So the end result was the same. Same right hand counter and low kick on exit. And just like, you know, when we were talking earlier about Luke Rockhold, I just can't see Holm fixing this, this style at this stage of her career. 
if Nunes can employ a similar strategy, that's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be very difficult for, for home to be. What do you think? Yeah, man, that was fucking right on. I mean, the description of the fights and, you know, Holmes tendencies and everything. Yeah, you know, just great analysis. Uh, and, you know, you, you the way you spoke about it, you know, so, you know, just perfect. No, no ums, no uhs, no ifs, you know, just great, great job on everything you just said. Uh, but, uh, yeah, the Holly Holm, man, the thing, uh, great um, similarity between her and Rockhold. And I think it's actually even a little worse in Holly Holmes case because she's around. Yes, men. Uh, I, I don't think that Jackson Winkle John is a high level camp at this point uh, in, in MMA. I think maybe five years ago it was, but we now see a lot of the stars, a lot of the, the Jackson wink staples, people who have been there for 10, 15 years are, are leaving. So you really know that something is, is not the same there at Jackson wink anymore. And uh, I think that they are a little, you know, too willing to just, uh, let uh, let Holly be the fighter that she is, not change uh, the necessary problems in her game. And I think that she'll come into this fight with the, pro probably the same issues that she did in the Duranime fight and in the Cyborg fight about the counter right hands and the leg kicks and the predictive circling. Um, and I think that really her out her act her output and her activity in the cyborg fight hurt her too. I think that after she started getting hit with those counter right hands, her output dropped off big time and she just did not throw enough to win that fight. She, um, you know, won a few rounds. She, she fought well, considering that she was fighting a dangerous opponent in cyborg, but she also fought a little scared. Like she was feeling the extra 10 pounds of the weight class. So it should be a closer matchup this time with Nunes, you know, being around her size, but, as we learned last fight, Amanda Nunes punches a lot harder than Chris Cyborg. So <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't think Holm has ever been finished in MMA. Um, but, you know, of course, you know, no one's really thinking about that he, in this matchup. I think everyone's kind of thinking about who will uh, outstrike the other over the course of a five-round fight. And, you know, people are kind of forgetting about the Nunes knockout threat, like she hasn't knocked out, you know, the past uh, few women that she's fought. And, you know, the only woman who's been able to survive with her over the past six or seven fights has been uh, Valentina Shevchenko, uh, who, who is one of the top top two uh, best female fighters on earth right now. So uh, and we're also kind of thinking about both of these facts. Both of these women can grapple. Amanda Nunes has got that black belt. She's got the few uh, submissions on her resume. Uh, over, you know, great grapplers, Sarah McMahon, Misha Tate. Um, she's, she submitted both of them with, with rear naked chokes. She's got, you know, great ground and pound from top position. I could list off the finishes from top position as well. She's got a lot of them, a lot of ground and pound finishes. Um, so when it comes down to grappling, I think Nunes is the better grappler, even though Holm, like you said, in uh, the, the Anderson fight, she was had great offensive wrestling, had great top position, and really uh, – just game plan so well for that fight and you realize that her opponent sucked at grappling and, you know, just exploited it, uh, you know, perfectly. So, uh, if this one ends up on the canvas, I expect Nunez, uh, to be the one in charge in top position and possibly getting a submission as well somewhere along the line because Holm has struggled with submissions as well. 
So uh, it really is a great fight. It, it's a good matchup. You know, even though we were kind of joking around about home getting that title shot, as you said, there is the talent pool was thin at 35, 45. And if Amanda Nunes wins this fight, she will have beaten every single UFC and Strike Force, Bantamweight and Featherweight champion. That is just such a mind blowing statistic that she could have beaten, you know, uh, Bud and um, Tate and Shevchenko and Rousey and Cyborg and you know the list goes on and on, man. She's just she's just incredible. So huge fan of Amanda Nunes. Uh, you know, big fan of uh, Home as well. But uh, I, I like Nunes in this matchup, and uh, I don't think she finishes Holly though. I think she fights smart. It's a back and forth kickboxing type of fight, and I'm gonna pick uh, Nunes to win 49-46. Uh, what, what's your uh, prediction for the fight and everything I just said? think I tend to agree, but here's, here's a question though. Are there any weaknesses in Nunes's game that home can exploit? Do you think John? I think that Nunes could struggle with the, the range. If home is using the leg kicks and the body kicks appropriately, I think that Nunes could struggle to get into the pocket. If a home is, you know, kicking her, I think, you know, that's when we might see a takedown out of Nunes. If she's struggling to get into that boxing uh, pocket, Do, was that what you were thinking as well? Or you got something else? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was trying to rack my brain to figure out how, you know, how you would be able to, find a high level game plan that would be reliable against Nunes because she's pretty good everywhere, as you just mentioned, right? I mean, her striking's pretty pretty advanced. Uh, she punches so hard. And another thing is she has really underrated low kicks. Actually, I just want to really quickly raise that point. She buckled Cyborg stats with just one low kick, completely ruined Pennington's Lee Lake in one round. And she landed a fair few against Shevchenko too. I think uh, something like 65% of Nunes' total strikes, significant strikes in their second fight were, were to the legs. So obviously not as effective at crippling Shevchenko, but you know that, that, that's more about Shevchenko's game than, than anything else. So very, very difficult to, to find any weaknesses. But I did mention earlier there was one thing going for home. And I might be stretching a little bit, so do call me out if you think this is wrong. But listen, just, just hear me on this one. Nunes has historical problems with her sinus. Now, Nunes has partly attributed her old gassing problems. If you remember in her old fights, she used to gas very easily. And I think part of that was her, her poor energy management. She would like to throw a lot of power strikes early on. But also part of that, at least according to her, according to press releases, she blamed that on her sinus issues, which apparently is made worse by the, the dry air in Vegas. Now, the last time she had that issue was when she fought Shevchenko the first time at UFC 196. She gassed up very badly by the third round. Since then, she has not gone to a single second round in Vegas. All her fights have either been not in Vegas or she's been so dominant that it was over in the first round. So, I mean, this could be a complete red herring. It might not even be a problem anymore. No, but I like it. I'm I like the sound of it. All I'm saying is it's been keep, it's keep untested. Going, yeah. She's untested. She hasn't been pushed. She hasn't even gone past the first round at Vegas. So if home managed to survive early on, puts a decent pace, there could be a question mark over Nunes' performance late. And one of the things I did notice in the Pennington fight is rounds three and four, she got a little bit sloppy. 
right? She her her hand started dropping a little bit after strikes. It wasn't it wasn't so high. She wasn't blocking so well. So I mean, that's that's definitely a question mark. Um, but uh, you know, if I have to look at it, I have to look at the technical analysis. Given how well ATT have prepared Nunes for each of our opponents and the obvious weaknesses in the Holmes game, I have to agree with you. I'm going to go with Nunes by decision. I think home is just too durable to be finished. And here's another thing to be aware of, prop bet wise. I think there's great value on Nunes by decision. It's at plus 215, and also Nunes by unanimous decision at plus 325. I mean, it seems very unlikely that uh, if it does go to a decision, she, she gets a split or majority decision. So Nunes by unanimous, unanimous decision at plus 325 seems like good value considering how much of a, a big favorite she is. And you only really need to win 25% of the time to be profitable. So, you know. Yep, that's, that's a great point. I like that. I like the little bit of a uh, conspiratorial thinking there too. You know, I kind of started the, pe- the the podcast with a little bit of a uh, outside the box conspiracy theory uh, thinking like that. So, you know, that that's a good point though. You, you the sinus problem. She was forced to pull out of the fight, and Holly Holmes got a wicked jab. She could, you know, she busted the nose of Cyborg. Not you know broke it, but Cyborg was leaking pretty bad from the from the punches of uh, Holmes. And in the second round. And um, so, like you said, she has not gone past uh, round two since UFC 196 in Vegas with Shevchenko. And, you know, she's had relatively easy fights since then. I mean, who who tested Amanda Nunes since Shevchenko, really, in the past, uh, you know, couple of years? Her her past, uh, you know, all of her past six opponents besides Shevchenko, she's finished and uh, finished, you know, with relative ease. Uh, you know, it took it took her to the fifth round with Pennington, but man, she she put an absolute beat down on uh, Raquel Pennington in that fight. So, um, you know, they're uh, home. Don't write her off. She does have a path to victory. She can pull this off. She is an incredible fighter that's uh, risen to the occasion before. Uh, and you know what a story it would be for her for, to come back and you know uh, get this uh, upset victory after the upset victory over Rousey years ago. But unfortunately, I think the odds are stacked against her in this one, and she's fighting uh you know a different beast in, in Nunes in this one so yeah I'm going with Nunes as well by decision and uh that leads us with the, with the main event with John Bones Jones risking his undefeated record against Tiago Maheta Santos um so before we talk about the matchup uh are, are you a John Jones fan Jamie I cannot be a John Jones fan based on his outside life but let me tell you that guy always put on a very good performance inside the cage. So as an MMA fan, I don't have to be somebody that likes him, but I can appreciate him. Does that make sense? Yeah, of course. You know, I wouldn't, there are, yeah, I, I wouldn't consider myself a fan either. I mean, how can the dude have fans? He's let people down so many times. He's been stripped of his belt three times. He's failed drug tests. He's been in hit and runs. He's been in car accidents. He's been arrested. You know, the, the list, the rap sheet goes on on John Jones, but you know, he is an incredible talent in the, in the cage. It would be uh, ludicrous to deny that he is one of the greatest fighters that has ever fought. Um, But you know, 
in the past couple months, I'd say I've come around to being a little more skeptical of Jones. You know, if you asked me last year or six months ago, who's the greatest fighter of all time was, I would have said it's John Jones, but now I really think the, the, it's, it's still open for debate. I don't think that you can say that John Jones is a better fighter than Jose Aldo or than, uh, Anderson Silva or George St. Pierre, because, um, there are, we, I think there are holes in John Jones's game and, the biggest one would be boxing. You know, he has never really had, you know, great boxing. I think that his defense has always been a little suspect. I think his defense of boxing is actually better than his offensive boxing. I mean, there are very few times throughout his long, long career that we have seen good uh, displays of boxing from, from John Jones. And, you know, I might be, I might be wrong about this one. You, you can correct me, but I think that um, for being, for being one of the greatest fighters ever, I think that John Jones's boxing is just a little uh, underdeveloped for for you know the the level that he's at. What do you think? I tend to agree. It's definitely his main weakness in this game. If we if we quickly summarize his game, it essentially revolves on what controlling the outfighting range, right? With high volume kicking, long straight punches, he has an absurd reach, eighty four inches. That's just nightmare for his opponents. And he's able to just tag his opponents where they can't fire back. But when the distance is closed in the pocket, his boxing, is, as you said, is it's just very, very sloppy. It's not very sharp. It's not very crisp. So what he does is quite clever, is he, he just chooses to clinch up. You don't really see much of Jones in the pocket. I think that's a deliberate choice by him. Every time there's any threat of it going to the pocket, he clinches up. And that's not a problem for him because Jones just happens to be very good, very good in the clinch, right? He's good at forcing his opponents to the fence. And then from there, it's elbows, it's knees. He's got that uh, little uh, the shoulder crank that he, he yeah. displayed against Glover. And that, that's a very nice touch. But Jones also has his offensive and defensive wrestling from there. He's got a Greco-Roman background. So, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. His boxing is definitely his main weakness and I cannot count the number of opponents that have tried to get into the pocket with John Jones and tried to land big shots and he's able to just get past it just using his physicality his his incredible frame and and, and range just get out, out of it and just basically dictate the fight where he's best at yeah, so you know, well put. He's we we agree that he is uh, has you know weakness with boxing, but he's just phenomenal at avoiding you know boxing exchanges, uh, you know, time people up in the clinch or level changing or staying at range. He's basically made a living off of avoiding uh, exchanging in the pocket and you know big uh, you know firefight type of fights where people are just trading and throwing punches. That's not his style, and he very rarely gets in exchanges like that. And unfortunately for Thiago Santos, that is where he really thrives. I think, you know, even though you might think that he's, uh, you know, a, a wild, untechnical guy who just goes out there and brawls, he is a technical brawler. You know, he's very comfortable in the pocket. He's comfortable getting hit. He'll, t he'll take one to give one. And he just likes being in a fight that is, you know, wild and uncontrolled and, it doesn't matter if he's winning or losing or hurt. He will just try, you know, just 
crazy shit in that octagon. And, you know, as creative and how great of a fighter John Jones is, he would just never do some of the stuff that Tiago Santos does, like throw 720, uh, you know, spinning kicks in the middle of a, a war with Tiago uh, or with Jimmy Manawa. It's, you know, and, I'll, and um, I'm mentioning this – as if it's you know some some attribute for for Santos, but it actually might be the uh, the thing that leads to his his demise in this fight. If he goes out there throwing spinning back kicks or cartwheel kicks or some capoeira kicks versus John Jones, he's going to get his ass taken down, put on his back, and probably ground and pound finished or even submitted on the ground because. The biggest advantage for Jones in this fight is is the ground. Uh, Tiago Santos has notoriously struggled with uh, grapplers. He you know lost, but Eric, he got Eric Spicy pulled guard on him, took his back, and choked him out in like two minutes. It was incredible. Like he was a minus five hundred fi- favorite in the fight. Spicy came in on like short notice, and he, in Brazil, pulls guard, rear naked choke, fights over. It was just one of the most incredible shit the bed performances ever from Santos. So it just goes to show that uh, his weakness on the ground, he, uh, you know, just prefers to, to stay and swing on the feet. Now, uh, what do you think Tiago Santos's game plan is coming into this fight? Do you think, just, just tell me what you think that, that his coaches are telling him. Oh man. I mean, there's so few weaknesses in Jones's game that he can exploit. I'm just looking at his, his style of fighting and how he matches up Jones. So if you look at Santos on paper, he should be at least competitive at kicking range. His uh, his bread and butter is his kicks. He has some really good kicks. Um, one of the things I did notice is he favors his left kick a lot. So he'll either throw switch kicks from orthodox or change stance to sidepod the kick with his left leg. That seems to be his power leg. But the problem is it makes him very predictable against Jones, that's a problem. I mean, Jones is very good at reading kicks, catching them and sweeping. The best example of that is a beautiful one he did against Cormier. I think that's been floating around as a as a GIF around the internet on Reddit. Every time Santos kicks, he is risk, risking it being caught. But I just feel Santos has to throw kicks because if he doesn't, Jones will dominate the outfighting range and just drawing him with attritional damage. And he'll find himself in round three and then his movement's gone, his, his cardio is sat because Jones has been kicking his body. So he really has to, has to kick and, you know, find a way to get into that pocket. He has to find a way to, as he said, make this a crazy fight, make it a chaotic fight because what Jones is good at is finding order, right? Making the fight orderly and in such a way that the opponent cannot go wild and do anything crazy because then he can predict what's going on. He'll take his time to read the timing, the the, the rhythm of his opponent. And by, by rounds three and four, the opponent is tired. Jones knows what's going to come at him and he can just dictate the fight. It's the sort of thing that happened to Smith. And I think really there's a small window in this fight that Santos has, maybe in the first two rounds where he has to, go in guns blazing but you know as you've kind of said yourself if he does that then jones has ways to deal with it i mean if he comes all crazy like he did against manua jones can look for takedowns right if he goes in cautiously and looks to counter like in the yam blackowitz fight jones will just pick him up from the outside i don't think santos has a chance of winning a decision so if he wins it has to be a finish so it's, it's a hard one to, to, to pick Santos, I think. But the longer this fight goes on, the more 
famous Jones. Um, it's yep. I cold. agree. You know, just give him all that time to download the information. So Santos, I don't think he the, the game plan for him is hey go balls to the wall. Hey, go out there and take his head off. You know, I think that. He, it has to be controlled aggression. It has to be planned and it has to be, you know, rehearsed. And I hope that they're doing that with him all throughout this camp. And so my plan would be to attack the leg kicks. And I think that if, if, if Santos doesn't throw any punches for the first minute and just gets off a few solid leg kicks on John Jones, you know, maybe not even a few, maybe one. And, you know, it's going to, there's no doubt that Jones is going to be thinking about that leg kick. He throw if, if Santos throws two or three leg kicks, he's going to be expecting a third or fourth. And after you set up the, the leg kick a few times, that's when you start unleashing the punches because you, you, you're not going to, you're not going to touch John Jones's chin by just swinging. You know, if you come at him without setting it up without, and just throw bombs, he's going to avoid that all day. All, all 25 minutes, he will avoid the punch. But if the punch is masked behind a kick, is you know, if he sets it up in any type of way, that's his path to victory. So if I'm if I'm John or if I'm Thiago Santos, I'm taking the center of the cage. I'm spamming leg kicks for the first first 30 seconds, one minute, and then <laughs> if I'm his coach, I'm screaming, you know, now or whatever the code is, whatever, say sledgehammer, you know. That's when he's <laughs> dropping the hammer. He, he's going full Thor mode, and he's trying to take Jones's head off. Now, if it doesn't work, he's getting taken down, and he could even get finished in the first round. If 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 it goes round two, try again in round two, and he he has one, two, maybe three tries at it, um, and that that's about it. That's that. Then Jones is going to drag him into the deep and murky waters. He's going to put him on his back. He's going. Santos has never fought the full five rounds. Although he's been scheduled for it about two or three out of his last four fights, uh, so I, you know, I, I'm cheering for Santos in this one. Let me get that straight. Let me get this straight. <laughs> I, I, I've you know loved Thiago Santos. I've known that this every time that this dude's on TV, it's gonna be you know screaming at your TV type of television. His last fight, he, he made us wait for a little bit. He made us wait ten or eleven minutes before he went off and threw those bombs. But he fought smart in that fight, man. That fight just showed you that there are levels to Santos. He can go and brawl and put on a, a crazy knockout haymaker slobber knocker performance like he did versus Manoa. Or he can go and be technical and strike and pick apart and wait for that counter punch versus Blahovich. He is a very technical and skilled fighter. Uh, he just happens to also be, uh, you know, a, a fierce brawler as well. So uh, I'm, I'm cheering for Santos. I hope he pulls off the upset. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I think the odds are correct. Let's just say that. I think that the odds are are, are accurate in saying that uh, Santos has about a, a 15% chance, I think, something like that. Let's do the math real quick. 100 divided by 575 is uh, Tiago Santos' chance. Um, which leaves us with 17.3%. So that's that's accurate. A little less than 20. He uh, that, that th those are the, that's what we're looking at in this one. So um, what do you think about the odds? Do you think they're they're accurate? And uh, what about what I just said? Anything? I I think yeah, you're, you're spot on. The, the the line is actually really really buying on the money. I think quite frankly, 85% um, Jones or about 80% Jones. That seems about right. Santos does have does have his chances in this fight. I mean, the long and short of it is Santos, as you said, it provides a lot of excitement through, through his explosive kill or be killed mentality. But stylistically, he doesn't have the tools or attribute 
to consistently beat Jones. I think that's that's the key thing. Maybe he can catch Jones, maybe, but consistently, if we have to look at it from a, a you know from a predictions perspective, it's it's very difficult to pick him. But um, you know, I agree with your analysis. Also, he has to throw kicks. If he doesn't throw kicks, he's he can't mask the punches. But every time he throws kicks, he's risking it being caught, and that's that's the high risk, high reward game that Thiago Santos has to play in order to beat John Jones. So uh, if you if he not if he pulls it off, if Maheto pulls it off, are you are you happy for him or? Are you, you know, kind of scratching your head at what the hell is MMA even a sport, you know? Mate, you know I'll, be, I'll be running around screaming my head off, let me tell you that much. That'll be yeah. one hell of an upset. That'll be amazing. I can't even imagine the, the fallout from that from that uh, particular result. That's going to be crazy. But the next week, the news is going to be popping left, right, and center. Every single Jones hater is going to be online, let me tell you that. So that'll be... A sight to behold, let me put it that way. Yeah, man. I mean, even though John Jones has not uh, lost legitimately a fight yet, he's got two no contests, but he's not lost officially, uh, according to you know most people. He, his time has got to come. You know, there's never been a, a fighter who's retired undefeated. You know, Khabib might be on his way there, but if he sticks around and keeps fighting, his time will come. And John Jones will finally uh, lose a fight, you know, and it, it could happen. And, and it's most likely not going to be Tiago Santos that does it. But, oh, man, would it be so sweet if that if he is the one to do it? Um, you know, <laughs> we've seen this guy, like I said, brawling uh, on, uh, you know, Fox Sports 1 cards and was working his way up uh, at the in the 85 division. And now he's, you know, got four fights in a row is on the best win streak of his life. And he's got a real chance here. So hopefully he makes the best of it. Hopefully it, it is an exciting fight, even if it's a, you know, a dominant performance from Jones. Maybe we get, uh, you know, uh, shades of uh, Lee and Barboza, where Barboza uh, or Lee dominates for five rounds, but we have one moment where it's like, oh shit, he's hurt, uh, just to get, just to keep us uh, entertained. So it, it would be a sweet sight to see. But unfortunately, I think that uh, Tiago Santos will probably be finished in the third or fourth round. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, this is MMA. Anything can happen, especially at 205. I mean, those those guys, one good, clean connection can really change the fight. Especially when the guy has a, t a hammer tattooed on his chest. <laughs> yeah, you know, he, he gives no shits when that when that happens. So, yeah, I mean, this this could this could be very interesting um, if Santos just gets everything of all the stars aligned for him. This could be very, very interesting. And uh my prediction, my prediction for this one has to be John Jones, probably by some kind of stoppage. I'm going to go with a TKO round four. I think Santos will hang in, hang in a nice. bit longer. I like, like the sound of that. Uh, Let's see what happens, shall we? To me. Yep, yeah, we got Saturday night. Well, uh, that's gonna that's gonna do it for this uh, th our little chat about the UFC 239 pay per view going down this weekend. It should be a great international fight week card. So uh, before before we go, uh, we forgot to do a little like uh, you know brief introduction in the beginning. So uh, I just asked you a few questions. You you ever train any MMA yourself, Jamie? I've not trained MMA directly, but uh, you know I started off doing Muay Thai and then. Came back the first day, my forearms were bruised, a high heaven from holding pads, and I thought, yep, 
this is the shit i went from there got, yeah i got, never did mma either just yeah uh, keep going yourself <laughs> yeah and uh you know through there somebody introduced me to to mma and i thought well this is really cool and then since then i've done some bjj too but amateur mma is hard man i mean that 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 is you have to really dedicate yourself to to the sport there's so many areas that you have to work on so for me it's just maybe too much but i tell you what though i love falling in the sport yep yeah myself uh, as well i you know i started watching about six years ago i got into training muay thai first about three years ago also got into jujitsu a, a little later about a year and a half ago and been doing both uh, ever since uh you know the, the end goal would be amateur mma like you said it is a, you know a rough business but uh you know just being in the involved with the sport this long and uh envisioning you know myself you know being being in that cage for so long and training for all this time it would be you know a huge disappointment in my life i think if i never stepped in the cage so uh you know uh, god willing uh, hopefully I, I will eventually do that but it, it's a rough it's a rough shit so uh how long ago was that that you first started training muay thai it's about four or five years ago so i've been doing it uh, on and off ever since you know obviously having and moved no a few no ufc before that no you're no, not really, really it. i'll tell you what my first ufc event i watched was probably i'm trying to think back here probably 184 UFC 184, Rousey versus Sangano. So one of the guys at the gym invited me to come watch. And uh, at the time, I had no idea. I was like, what, what is this? No idea, apart from the fact that it was in the cage. But yeah, it's, once, you, once you see it, you see the, 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 vast, the vast amount of techniques and the action and drama. It's just, it's just addictive, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know what the exact moment that got me hooked was. I think I think it was probably watching Joe Lozon fights when he was, you know, bleeding and, you know, beating dudes up and triangling people and knocking people out. He was really the guy who got me into it from from the jump. But I mean, the first live fight, UFC fight I remember watching was Anderson Silva versus Chris Weidman one. So I picked I mean, I, I was fortunate. That was a great, you know, memorable moment. Uh, to get jumped in on, but if if I my first fight I watched was Rousey's and Ghana one, I would have I, I don't I don't know what I would have thought. I, I was like, <laughs> what the hell is this shit? Fourteen second armbar. <laughs> um, but luckily though, you got to see the rest of the card. I think Ferguson was on that card too. Yeah, yeah. So it was a I thought it was a good introduction, you know. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I mean, R Rousey, you know, uh, lover or hater after the fact, she introduced, you know, millions of new eyes to the sport, you know, gotta love her for that. Um, and uh, so what do, what do you prefer? You know, you started Muay Thai, but you got into Jiu-Jitsu. Do you think that you have a preference for one of them or you got a lot of love for both? It's hard to decide. It's hard to decide, man. I mean, I thought at the beginning that striking, that's just so much more fun, but that's because I didn't really understand grappling. Once you start jiu-jitsu, you, you begin to really discover exactly how deep the game is on the ground, and that's not even including the wrestling part. So it's hard to decide. There's just so much stuff to learn, and I'm just, I'm just hyped for everything, really. Yeah, I mean, I love both to death, but I would say jiu-jitsu is better because, 
uh, you know, Muay Thai, it's, you're doing it against, you know, yourself. You, when you start, I don't know about you for, personally, but when you start Muay Thai, you start with, uh, you know, shadow boxing and then you get your way, you know, hitting a bag and then working with a partner and then holding pads. And then you get your way up to sparring after, you know, a year or something, you really work your way up to it. And there's a lot of individuality in it. You could never spar and do Muay Thai for years and you know think you have good technique and you think you know how to fight and you think you can oh yeah i could defend myself but let me tell you something you're in for a rude rude awakening the first time you ever get involved in any type of altercation because it will end up in grappling no doubt about it um you know you're not going to just box it out on the streets or something whenever you get involved in it so i think jujitsu teaches you the real you know uh self-defense the real it, it, it humbles you, you know, you get someone on top of you, like, you know, you can't move. It, it's, it's, it's a different type of feeling. It's something that you'll never really feel like in Muay Thai. Um, so I think that, uh, I mean, I, I personally, I was, uh, I thought I was, you know, I'm kind of describing this from experience. I did Muay Thai for a year and then I was involved in a street fight and we got, we ended up on the ground and, you know, I tried doing a guillotine like I saw in the UFC, but it wasn't working for some reason. I didn't, I couldn't understand why I was like, come on, dude, I, I did this shit just like Pettis does. Uh, but it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't getting the tap. So uh, I, I had to get, get myself involved in jujitsu uh, a few, a few months later, honestly, uh, so that was a, you know, that was a humbling experience, you know, losing, losing that fucking street fight really got me, you know, was, uh, I, I took it as one of the best learning moments of my life and really, uh, it, it lit the, the fuel for the jujitsu, uh, you know, fire in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what though, um, first time you spar in, in Muay Thai or any kind of striking, I'm going to use Muay Thai the first time I spar at least, and I took a single low kick from somebody that could actually kick. Oh my goodness. Oh my yeah, goodness. That, that was power. a great moment. That was a great moment, wasn't oh it? Oh my, yeah, it's just like, what the heck is going on? I could barely stand after one kick. And yeah, it's, well, it just, the it's just like the levels, isn't it? The fortunate thing about our gym is uh, we like when it's your birthday, people like kick you. And uh, <laughs> so we will like line up at the end of the class. Oh, it's so-and-so's birthday and you'll get out there. And usually the people we don't do with shin guards because the, you know, the class is over. Everyone's got their stuff off. And, you know, most people are just tapping you, tapping you, tapping you, you know, people you don't know who you're just training with. But then like your friends come up and they fucking dig in like, your, your thigh with the bare shin. And that's when you really, really feel it. Uh, I remember I was going away to college and they're like, all right, you know, John's going away to college. And then I was like, he's giving us some light kicks. And I, I stand up there. I'm like, I'm not going to have to do a lot of walking and like moving tomorrow. And then wham, wham, you know, my leg was, you know, dead legged by in, in the next, you know, minute. And uh, it wasn't too bad, though. I was still grateful I, I got the light kicks, even, even though I was sore the next day. Yeah, it just it just shows you the levels to this game, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, getting punched in the face, I think, is more of a, a wake a waking up type of thing. You know, it's uh, it's it's. I mean, it takes a while to get used to it. I think. But, uh, you know, lately I think I, I've had like a switch where I was a little bit scared to get hit and, you know, didn't like getting punched a little bit. But now in the past, you know, a couple of times I've sparred, I've, you know, got I felt an improvement in my eyes, you know, not you know, flinching as much and not being as scared and, you know, being willing to engage. So, you know, making improvements. Yeah, I mean, that's that's never pleasant, isn't it? Some people some people can't deal with it at all. Sometimes I mean, you have 
I remember people starting sparring and then the first sparring session and they just think, no, can't do it, can't do it. It's just, it's not in that, I don't think it's a particularly natural feeling getting getting punched or, or kicked or anything in, in the head. So yeah, I agree with you. I mean, that's one advantage jujitsu has where there's no wear and tear to, to your head. I think that's, that's huge. I don't want to end up with some kind of degenerative disease when I'm older and that's that's one of the advantages of jiu-jitsu you don't have that uh, cumulative damage right you can always be a bit more uh, gentle in your roles you can flow row and uh, save yourself all that wear and tear so you know maybe you're onto something yeah I think it's a little uh I don't know I think you can be it can be both you know where Muay Thai fighters uh, they'll have 200 fights and they'll be 60, 70 years old. They'll be, you know, clear headed. They, they got their tattoos and their bodies are completely intact. And, you know, you're, you're questioning what the, what the hell's going on. Then you see guys like Joseph Altolini, the glory kickboxer who had to retire young and had such bad concussions, only, uh, 50 fights into his career, you know, it, it and then there are jujitsu guys who I'm sure are, who are rolling into their seventies and feeling good. And then some guys, you know, suffer bad injuries and at 30, 40 and, you know, have to stay off the mats the rest of their career. So it is, there are, there's always going to be trades, you know, uh, you know, ups and downs to each one. And that's why you got to do both. You gotta, you know, you gotta strike and you gotta grapple, whether it's, you know, jujitsu or wrestling or, uh, boxing or Muay Thai. I think it's very important for everyone to mix it up and make sure you're becoming well-rounded. Couldn't agree more, my man. Couldn't agree more. All right, my man. Well, you know, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Jamie. You know, the way, uh, like I said, though, I complimented you earlier, but the way you, you break down fights, man, it, it's great. You know, you, you talk nice and, and slow, and so people get the point. You you uh, lay it out very well. You're very well spoken. No stutters or you knows or uh us or ums like i do constantly uh but you know you know it was great having you on man Re really like uh, talking to you and we'll have to make this uh, a more frequent occurrence absolutely appreciate the compliments thanks again for having me and i look forward to a great card let's see what happens yeah man you got any uh social medias anything anybody can follow you on you got a twitter or anything you post your mma thoughts on no not really i, I do this recreationally i mean the only thing uh, I do for analysis is just to find out good bets so I, so I can make a bit of money. But uh, you can find me on Reddit. My uh, handle is Adventure9000. I sometimes post some uh, some analysis or thoughts on there. Awesome, my man. Well, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the March MMA podcast. I hope you enjoyed the podcast this weekend. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed listening to me and Jamie talk about the UFC 239 pay-per-view. Catch you all later.